Hello and welcome to Les Soyers. I am your waiter for this evening. And may I start you off with some appetizers, perhaps some finger food. Let me tell you about tonight's specials. First we have Filet of Steve, prepared medium, uh, medium well, served with a white wine sauce. We also have our house special, Leg of Lawn, cooked to perfection, served with seasoned potatoes. And for dessert, we have Bob's Brains a la mode. Or may I interest you in cannibal movies on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Hey kids! Do you know what time it is? That's right, boys and girls. It's time to talk about every kid's favorite topic, cannibals! A little housekeeping before we get started. Uh, We are currently hiring internships here at Attack of the Killer Podcast Studios. And you're probably asking yourself, why does Attack of the Killer Podcast need interns? Um, It's just five friends talking on Skype about horror movies, so why would they need interns? There is a lot more to it than that, though. If you become an Attack of the Killer podcast intern, you will do more than just get us coffee and wash Jason's Jason's hemorrhoid pillow. You will learn learn hands-on tech and the business side of the podcast. You will write up press releases to send out to various news sites. You will seek out new advertisers for the show. And you will also learn highly advanced editing software that makes John sound like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Joe! <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, to raise, <clears throat> to raise money for the show, you will be whored out on the street corners and bitch better have my money. Now that, now that last part can be avoided, mind you, if you just donate to our Patreon. So for your mere pocket change, you can get various perks for donating to our Patreon. And help keep young girls off the streets. So just go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and help poor Brittany from a life of prostitution and abuse because her pimp Terry gets quite violent when she hasn't had her meth. (laughs) Attack of the Killer Podcast is a proud member of the Phantom Podcast Network. Some might say that we are the deformed stepchild kept in the walls of the house, born with 38 birth defects and only eats flies of the Phantom Podcast Network. At least that's what we're uh, going for anyway. Um, For our show and many others, go to downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. And if you're already listening to us for the first time through the network, let me tell you a little bit about the show. Tech of Killer Podcast. um, We uh, like long walks on the beach. Um, We like men who aren't afraid to cry. And we are also a podcast to discuss horror movies themed around a particular topic. We freely discuss these movies, so there may be spoilers. So don't say I didn't warn you. Now I know what you're thinking. Who are these mysterious bastards known as Attack of the Killer Podcast? Well, let me introduce you to the podcast crew. He paid to have dinner with Hannibal Lecter. It might it might have been really expensive because it said it cost him an arm and a leg. Brian Clark, everybody. <laughs> And he took the left one of the arm and the leg, so now I'm all right. 
God, that was such a dad joke. <laughs> he loves he loves hot dogs, although he believes they're made out of human penises. And you know what they say: you are what you eat. John Stalter, everybody. That's right. <laughs> uh, I do love a good foot long. Uh, <laughs> right, Brian. <laughs> If vegetarians eat vegetables, then that makes this ne- next person a humanitarian. Jason Bollinger. That's me. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Now, this next person, be careful if you ask her if she wants some tongue, she'll turn around and, and, and turn it into a sandwich. Terry Turford, everybody. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> it was 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, lastly, our very special guest... Some say he's just tad good at what he does, and he's probably heard that joke a thousand times. Tad good, everybody! <laughs> oh, never never heard that one. Oh, nice. i got to give Brian credit for that one. No, I, that's not at all what I said. Oh, well, that's <laughs> yeah, how I read it. Fuck that up. <laughs> uh, so tonight's topic is cannibal films. And I tried to choose some films kind of outside the norm of what you would expect when it comes to cannibal movies. So if you don't hear us talking about some of the more popular you know, films like Texas Chains of Massacre or whatever, um, it's totally intentional. Um, but now before we get into the meat of the show, <laughs> huh? it's time for some killer news. Now it's time for killer news. Well, I really only have one item to uh, discuss tonight before we get into the meat of this segment with somebody else. Halloweencostumes.com is doing an exclusive collector's edition Pennywise mask from the new It movie. It retails for $900. What? Jesus. There, there are Seriously? $20 masks you can find at Shopco that look better than this. This fucking thing looks like a mopey juggalo really wanted badly to dress up for the gathering, but the only clown he'd ever seen in his life for reference was Bozo. So if you if you want to spend a few car payments to look like a suicidal alcoholic kids show host facing child pornography trafficking charges this Halloween, you know where to go. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Lawsuit from HalloweenCostumes.com. <laughs> the the views expressed on Attack of the Killer podcast is not represented. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So since the last time we recorded, obviously the <clears throat> big item of news in the world of horror is the passing of the legendary George Romero. And to discuss his life and career a little bit, I'm going to hand this off to our host, Insane Mike, to whom George Romero is quite the hero. So, Mike, take it away. Thank you. Um, yeah, George Romero is, has been and always will be my all-time favorite director. And um, I've, I've said it over and over again on the show. Um, the, the original Dead Trilogy are like top three of my favorite films of all time. In each of them, <clears throat> the first viewing of each of those films affected me in a different 
in different ways that completely molded who I am today. Like Night of the Living Dead opened my mind to what horror movies could be. Um, the possibility of of um, what can what you you can do in a horror movie because up to that point I was mainly just watching Universal monster movies um, where you know things get wrapped up nice happy ending and all that now I get to, now for the first time seeing Night of the Living Dead I see that everybody dies um, then uh, with uh, Day of the Dead Day of the Dead affected me in a way of like again this is early when I was really starting to um, get into horror films and up to that point I just thought special effects just meant you know dumping fake blood on something and calling it gore um, and Day of the Dead taught me that uh, there is a true artistry and craftsmanship when it comes to special makeup effects so much so that that, that at that time that's what I just what I thought I wanted to do with my life was be a special effects artist <clears throat> and then Dawn of the Dead um, turning out to hands down be my all-time favorite movie um, because it Dawn of the Dead taught me that of what a film what a filmmaker can do in a film as far as you know crafting a shot telling a story um, still have a lot of gore but still have major character arc and um, even putting in your own personal messages within your within your body of work uh, you know, George's films is, is is really molded who I am as far as a horror movie fan, as an artist myself, as a filmmaker. Um, uh, what I've always really appreciated about George as a director um, is the construction of his shots, um, the performances he gets out of his actors, and uh, the the thought of of him always trying to do his films his way. And not letting anything get in the way of that. Knowing that, hey, I don't have to go to Hollywood. I can stay right here in Pittsburgh and make a movie. Um, <clears throat> I don't have to sign a contract with some major studio to make a film. I can get some guys I know in Italy to back it. So, you know, and then just coming up with um, with the ideas that he did and... It's uh, it's it's still kind of tough to talk about. Um, you know, I don't generally get overly worked up about a passing of a celebrity that has meant a lot to me because you know, it, you know, it's uh, but George's death is has really really affected me, and um, it's uh, good to be able to go back and rewatch his movies. I know after his passing, I I watched Knight Rider literally you know minutes after first hearing the news because i've always felt knight rider was his most personal film and uh um yeah uh, i really don't know what else to say <laughs> i kind of feel like i'm starting to ramble so does anybody else want to add anything about about george nope well we talked a lot about if you go to our patreon <laughs> we talked a lot about this on a bonus episode recently as well, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, I know I wrote a big thing on Facebook right after it happened as well. And um, really expressing my my love for the man and his films. And 
it's a bummer I never got a chance to uh, to meet him or anything, you know. Um, which kind of like also opened the eyes up of you know there have been opportunities where I could have, and I feel like much like George Romero, um, and trying and you know, building his career out of nothing, um, you know, and just because he went out and did it, he uh, you know he sees the day, and that's always kind of what I've tried to live by. Realizing I have passed up opportunities to meet George, kind of makes me reflect and look at have I really seized the day? So. Um, that's something I'm going to continue to work on, uh, as well as, uh, you know, continuing my, um, exp my own artistic expression through, uh, the influences of George Romero. So I guess that's all I really got. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's get on with the show. Who wants to start us off with some cannibal goodness? Jason? Uh, uh, the last one I watched was <coughs> The Colony. I did not get a chance to watch that one, so tell us about it. Tell me about it. Um, the, <coughs> the funny part is that I posted on Twitter that I was watching it, and the image I used uh, was cropped. And it looked like it said I was watching the colon. <laughs> and I had several people be like, what are you watching? <laughs> um, Sounds delicious. In a way, it's like Snowpiercer was, you know, like the world, the world got cold. And people were living in some colonies and, and shit was going down. Yeah, I felt it was it was a mixture of that and uh, Thirty Days a Night. It sort of had that feel too. Uh huh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you I know, watched it, this one you, too. <laughs> you know, I'm not the guy who explains the damn movie. I can't do it. That's fine. Anybody else can jump in too. So why are you on a podcast? I'm just I wonder <laughs> that every time. <laughs> it's because you know how to do the technical side. And Mike pretty doesn't. much. Pretty much. <laughs> That's 100% accurate. <laughs> did you... I missed... Did you explain? Really? Not... Not, not really. Not? Okay. Brief. Um, well, the basic concept is that um, the Earth is affected by these um, climate-changing machines that they were meant to help the Earth, and then they've ended up basically making it the Ice Age. And... Um, people are split up into colonies that live underground so they don't freeze to death. Um, and the people at this one colony, which has Lawrence Fishburne and Bill Paxton, they get an SOS from another colony nearby. And so they make the trek to see them and discover that there is like this group of human creature things <laughs> I don't know if they were fully I guess they were technically human I don't they're weird feral uh, humans uh, they're, yeah they're feral they're evolved or devolved whatever um, that are eating humans because they're starving to death and they start chasing them back to their colony and that's the 
general gist of it. Okay, cool, cool. Sounds pretty solid. It's got Lawrence Fishburne and Bill Paxton. That's really Bill fucking and Paxton. Yeah. Really, you had me at Lawrence Fishburne, so. <laughs> and the Kevin Zegers, Zegers right. is pretty good, too. I've seen him in a few other things. Yeah, for a pretty boy, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's no Jason, but you know. Well, come on. <laughs> I thought it was a little, it was a little slow, but... I liked the general idea of it. Yeah, I definitely had... Was it Tad that said the 30 Days of Night vibe? Just with the the winter and the... Kind of a blue tint on everything. And I had no idea this thing... This movie even existed until uh, Jason, you know, told me what movies oh. we'd be discussing. So it's, it's like, I have no idea how this sort of went completely by you know it wasn't even on my radar with Lawrence Fishburne and Bill Paxton in it but uh, it was okay I didn't love it but I I don't regret watching it so (laughs) (laughs) that's a fine line because plenty of times I do regret it and whether it sucks or not there was something I did I mean it was uh, I really liked uh, it was just a simple thing but you know it had obviously been snowing for years and uh so when they were walking from colony to colony, they there was like the tops of um, electrical towers, you know, like a couple feet oh, out of God, the snow. Here we go. <laughs> what? Electrical. Shit. No, no, I'm just saying. That was, I'm saying that was fucking cool because it showed that the oh, snow had been deep, snowing, like it was. was how high it was. That's what it was. Gotcha. Oh, okay. I thought that was really cool. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, as long as you they don't start naming like individual components <laughs> and things like that, it's it's cool. No, I totally agree. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so like, so they were just so why were they out roaming around? They got they a distress a signal or something. Yeah. That what? I'm sorry, I missed that. There was a distress signal from another colony, and they went to investigate. Oh. Which, which is you know a classic folly in a horror movie. Don't don't follow it. Right. <laughs> like, and the whole bitches, thing was that they, they had an agreement with the colonies to keep like have each other's backs. So they were holding up their end of the deal by responding, and and then they just end up in the colony that's all cannibals. Yep. Sans, the one guy at the beginning of Cube. Oh, yeah? Who was just, who was just hiding in a room in the back. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um, well, the one thing that I found most, in, I mean, and they laid it out clear as day in there, but the whole concept of it was more that the biggest, their biggest enemy was themselves. There was a lot of stuff about, like, how... Um, there were flu outbreaks and they didn't have the resources to to heal the people within their colony so they were basically if they got sick they were given the option to either basically take a walk out into the cold or get shot oh and so bill paxton kind of plays this bad guy um sort of you know walks that line where he's just sort of shooting them without giving them much of a choice because it's too much of a a threat to their colony. Interesting. So there's that kind of, yeah, kind of a back and forth there in the human front, anyway. 
Okay. Uh, which I thought was the most compelling part of the whole thing, personally. But Really? More so than the, the creepy cannibal people? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> they were alright. <laughs> <laughs> alright. Uh, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Alright. Yeah, way to start it off, Jason. Good job. Good job. <laughs> High five. I need a drink. That better be beer. Alright, so then, Terry, what would be another one that we could talk about? Okay, I'm going to choose Delicatessen. Yes. Because it's awesome. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is a French film. Um, It's set um, in a time... um, when there there's people are are struggling to eat i guess it's i guess it's a time of war i can't remember something or it, yeah war. i don't i don't well, remember if you look in the trivia kind of yeah, yeah kind of a dysto- just kind of a dystopian sort of a deal this is a really geeky thing but if you look in the uh, trivia at one point in the movie the i'm trying to remember what her name is i just call her the mistress she mentions how they were going to the age of Virgo or some astrology shit, and they said yeah. in the trivia that would mean that the year is like twelve thousand three sixty or something like that. If you go off what? of modern astrology, yeah. Well, that doesn't really fit. No, but I mean it's it's post apocalyptic essentially. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, damn. <laughs> that chair is loud. I can't not say anything. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing there, Tad. But... What are you doing to that chair? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's basically it's set in an apartment building, um, and you have all of these tenants, and they have this creepy uh, landlord who who lives downstairs, and it's revealed fairly early on. I mean, this is very kind of campy black comedy movie. Oh yeah. Um, but basically, they are renting out a room for like kind of a someone to do the upkeep around the apartment building, and then they are basically going to murder that person for meat because they need protein. Um, tasty, and, tasty meat. And they barter with like like corn and and grains and things like that. That or they kill off people in the apartment building when they're desperate, like the poor old granny. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's zany and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. It's over the top. I watched this a while back and I revisited it um, before we we talked about it, but I enjoyed it just as much the second time, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a fun movie. Um I, I I like the scene where uh, the house starts, where everybody yeah everybody's rhythmically to the like he's bouncing yeah. he's bouncing on the bed we're painting the ceiling it's and clever, like yeah. Oh, yeah. everybody starts going in unison like it's gonna turn the into a musical scene. number yeah yeah <laughs> so funny and it just goes I'm, on and on yeah it's pretty awesome I'm I'm a big fan of um, the scenes with the oh what was her name Aurora 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 something like that yeah the, the the poor wife who's like constantly trying to like 
have people help her kill herself, but the she most, won't do it herself. The most yeah. elaborate ways. Yeah, they're just like these obstacle courses of things that are supposed to lead to her death that always seem to keep failing, and just hilariously so. So, she was always my... F- I like her scenes. They're very planned oh, out. The one where she's got the uh, candle floating in a dish in the sink, and she's ra- trying to raise the water, so then the candle will burn the rope and, like, drop, uh, what, the sewing machine on her head? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, oh, that one's good. The sewing machine when she's in the bathtub. Oh, yeah. She has a guy come and ring her doorbell to, like, turn on the sewing machine and run the length of a cloth that's going to drop a lamp into her tub. <laughs> so, look, like, this mouse trap just over and over. Basically, over. just, like, little bits of that thrown in there. They're just so funny. <clears throat> I love the cinematography. It was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Beautifully shot. That was mine. Some great, great camera work. Kind of some of those, some of those like extreme close-up shots on people, and so kind of reminds me of, like a little uh, Terry Gilliam type of mm-hmm. shots. Oh yeah, little... or early, early Tim Burton sort of. Yeah, yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that totally, absolutely. Well, you because you guys have seen uh, their other films, right? Amelie um, and uh, um, mm-hmm. now oh. I'm blanking. City Lost Children. That's right, and that they one. say oh. they. They say because it's two, or it's co-directors, and they say that they're definitely influenced by Terry Gilliam. And it, I mean, obviously, comes obviously, through. yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I never really thought about the Tim Burton thing, but yeah, that also comes yeah. through as well. And I totally forgot it was the same directors that did Amelie and City of Lost Children. It makes sense mm-hmm. when you see it. a lot so of the same cast movie. too. Oh yeah, okay, all right. Like the uh, the the. Um, Unemployed clown, or I can't think of his name, but the guy that the main actor in the movie, he's he's pretty much in everything that they do, or that either of the directors do because they do their own things. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's it's definitely a fun movie. Uh, not really horror, I guess. Barely any cannibalism, but it's, it's got it's Still got good. the elements in there. Yeah, it was a nice um, relief from some of the other things that we had to watch so <laughs> well was, again i tried to like i tried to throw some movies on this list that kind of outside the norm of what you would think about when it comes to cannibal films and as i was watching stuff i was starting to worry because like a, a lot of stuff like you know delicatessen really doesn't get too much into the cannibalism and then another one um that I watched for this episode, you know, just kind of barely even hints at it, and that's Spider Baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's so good. Oh, it's a great movie, but I started worrying. I'm like, shit, did I just pick movies that really have nothing to do with cannibalism? <clears throat> well, no, I think that even the films where it's implied could should still be considered. Just, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to see someone gnawing on a fucking leg for it to be a movie about cannibals. Like, yeah, but it I, sure does I, help. I guess. <laughs> I guess I prefer the more subtle, like hinting at it more than straight up in your face. But sure, that's yeah, just me. I get that too. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, kind of get into Spider Baby here. Um, what was it? Nineteen sixty-seven, I believe, is when it came out. Uh, directed by Jack Hill, black and white. It's like Sid Haig's first movie. 
um, one of Lon Chaney's towards the end of his life movies. Um, and it's about this, like, uh, I forget the name of the disease. Can anybody remember the name of the disease? Mary. Mary syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah. Where it, where you, um, the older you get, the more you regress until you become like almost, you know, like a feral creature kind of thing. Um, so it's about this family that lives in this house and Lon, Lon Chaney Jr. is the chauffeur, kind of the caretaker of the family in the estate after the father passed away. And there's there's two girls and a boy. Um, obviously there's some mental... You, you tell right away there's some issues, mental issues with, uh, with, the, three, with the three kids. And then there's also... Um, uh, aunts and uncles that live in the basement are allowed that are not allowed to come up from the basement because they're too far gone at that point. And so there's then there's this uh, brother and sister that show up that uh, with their lawyer and the lawyer's assistant, um, so that the brother and sister can lay claim to the estate as the last known as the last living relatives, and the fact that the uh, the children are kind of. Um, they've definitely got some issues, so they're kind of, uh, come to take over and, and zaniness ensues. So, <laughs> so Brian, you really like old spider baby, right? Oh, I love this movie. Yeah. yeah me too. I can't remember if it is Lon Chaney Jr.'s last role or, but if it's not, it's one of, I mean, it, the last that would be five. Technically yeah. that'd be Dracula versus Frankenstein about Al, right, Al right, Adamson. Right. And at that point he had really completely falling apart oh yeah he's yeah he's a mess i love that movie don't get me wrong but it's tough to see him through that but if if you love lon chaney jr from the old universal days and you just want to see him kind of pull himself together one last time just consider this to be the end of his legacy because he really pulls himself up out of the alcoholism that killed him and I think delivers maybe one of his best performances. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, because there's a lot of films that you could see in the in the later half of his life where, you know, he's just not he's just not there. The alcohol's taken over, but he generally gives a great performance in this movie. Yeah, and I don't know if it was, uh, you know, maybe Hill's talent as a director, if it was just the script, the character that really spoke to him and made him feel like, you know, this is important I need to do my best for this, but he even sings the theme song That's which right, is a yeah. lot of fun and uh, on their 2001 album Director's Cut a band called Fantomas which is led by Mike oh, Patton it's got God. Dave Lombardo from yep. Slayer and uh, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins and a bassist from, I want to say, Dinosaur Jr. Uh, it's an album of covers of classic movie theme songs and they do this song on that album, it's great that's one of my favorite records of all time, hands down. Let alone yeah. of anything Mike Patton's ever done. So, and uh, the other performance that really stands out to me in this is Joe Banner as Virginia Mary, the dark-haired one who uh -huh. wants the one who plays Spider, and she's always got those carving knives. Yeah, and she hardly has any other screen credits. I was looking her up before the episode, and uh, she's yeah. got I don't know, maybe a dozen or fifteen or so other various little bits in movies and TV but I don't know if she went on to be uh, a stage actress so she doesn't just you know doesn't come up in a lot of the uh, cinema resources online or if she decided yeah this isn't for me and went and just did a normal job you know but well, uh, she's she, she really passed, really good she passed away fairly young too when I was oh, looking okay. on IMDB alright that might be it too like, yeah. like in her 
35. Uh, thank oh, you. Shit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a damn shame. Um, yeah. I would say the plot bears some resemblance to uh, a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's more down-to-earth stories. You know, he's got kind of two modes, one where he's doing the cosmic horror of Cthulhu and Dagon and all that, and then he's got stories like The Lurking Fear, which are about inbreeding and madness and cannibalism, you know, just this horrible, decaying lineages. Uh, but this has a lot of very overt sexual overtones, and I think the old Providence ghoul would have been watching this from behind the couch with his hands over his ears. <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> listening, no, la, 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 because that stuff, he was, like, mortified of any kind of uh, outward sexual stuff. But yeah, when uh, when Virginia is playing spider with Uncle Peter, you know, it's mm -hmm. pretty obvious that she's going to kind of get up on him a little bit before she stabs him to death and drinks his blood. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, here here is my take watching it again here this this last time, and I've seen it several times myself. I, I love this movie a lot, but and having George Romero on the brain. So this was 1967 when it came out. Uh, he filmed it in '64, and uh, and Night Living Dead was '69, um, and everybody cites like the subtext of Night Living Dead. Of of you know the the change in our in our society you know the the family unit um, and all that I feel like this movie has has a very similar message because the opening of the movie plays like some some like stereotypical like forties film. Where you've got this, we've got this black actor who's doing the stereotype, scary. Well, you, know, you know who that is, right? Yeah, That's and I forget Mantan now. Mantan Moreland, who yeah. is like the <laughs> practically the he inventor was that. of that black stereotype. Yeah, character. he he was that character. Absolutely, he played that in so many different films and whatnot. But the thing, and so it's interesting to have him again doing that character again in like mid '60s. As you know, the you know racial climate's changing and all that, and um, that because that whole first beginning of the movie with him delivering mail and stuff kind of feels like one of those old movies. Again, the whole movie's in black and white and everything, so it feels like one of one of his old movies. Up until she starts slashing him to bits with the with the two butcher knives, and then it's like it's such a such a jarring moment at that point where it feels like. Um, you know, we're turning everything on its head, and it's like, that time has passed. You know, and the whole movie has to deal with family, and how this is such a dysfunctional family, and the breakdown of the whole family unit and everything. I feel like it, it shares a lot of similar qualities as far as um, the uh, the social commentary that George was saying with Night Living Dead, or that people have read into with uh, the social commentary of Night Living Dead. I think the same can be said for Spider Baby. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Tad, what do you think of Spider Baby? Um, I re well, what I associate it with, um, I'd seen it before, but I remember when House of Thousand Corpses came out, a lot of people were comparing the two, and I mean, clearly Rob Zombie was influenced by this movie, and I mean, not just because of Sid Haig, but I mean, the story-wise, you know, it has the crazy family. Uh, the innocent people who are sort of lured into the house and 
realize the terror that they're they're they've gotten themselves into um you know it's 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 awesome um i i love these old black and white movies just because like you were saying when it starts off it feels so innocent and it's like it's almost like it's going to be a comedy and right away it goes from comedy to straight terror no no middle ground straight into it Mm-hmm. yep absolutely you know you see the you see the guy's severed ear hit the floor during that scene you didn't see stuff like that in the mid 60s right now i mean when this was released let alone the fact that he shot it in 64 yeah which yeah. is i mean exactly which is uh, that's the year blood feast came out right so was 64 or wasn't it I don't. I remember. was thinking it was early '60s that H. G. Lewis got going, but I don't think. I'm not saying that had any influence on this or vice versa. Um, no, it's just I'm yeah. Just saying like, but he his was a very niche market, whereas Spider Baby would have been a little more. I mean, at least with the marquee value of uh, Lon Chaney, you know, would have got some more recognition. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know, even with, like, the, you know, you mentioned the song. The song kind of has that, like, again, it has that 50s um, Halloween novelty song, the, you know, feel to it, you know? You know, and and, uh, it, and the, you have... sets you up to think it's going to be a lot funnier than it ends up being. Exactly, and it even has, like, cartoon uh, cartoon opening credits, you know? Which, which are great, but, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it totally... and. It's not to say this movie is not devoid of comedy. I, I find several moments of this movie extremely funny, but it's definitely a lot darker comedy than what you would expect going into it um, right off the bat there from the opening scene. So, so yeah, and Jason, you you got to see Spider-Baby finally. Yep. What were your thoughts? It was good. Um, I, always, I always worry about your guys' old movie tastes. <laughs> and like this. Hey. And, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. I I liked it. Sometimes the older films can be, like, super heavy on the exposition because, you know, they didn't have big effects and big things, so they just had to tell the story instead of... So I, I thought this movie did a good job of having both not... It had a lot of dialogue, obviously, but... yeah. But at the same time, it was super cool and it's interesting, I guess, you know, to see how it was going to play out. And I don't know if I liked the douche guy in the beginning with the storytelling yeah. maneuver thing, but oh, oh, the whole the, opening narration, yeah. Thing. But but still, it's fine. It, it feels that that opening scene where he's explaining the the disease feels really like the opening of Killer Shrews to me. It's kind of the same thing. But they f- <laughs> they feel like they have to have some narrator standing there explaining to you instead of like letting the story explain right. it, it itself. Or, you know, the fact that why do we need this explained, you know? I mean, granted, I mean, we've seen thousands of movies with with psycho psycho dysfunctional families since then that have no explanation, so we're accustomed to it. Sure. But in the 60s, back they, then they, they, they invented this to, disease, so they're like, well, let's at least tell people what we invented here and yeah but yeah it's good yeah i like the girls creepy and that that um 
that end scene I think is really creepy too with uh, with the aunts and uncles in the basement and they just they yep. just grab the the one woman and, and pull her down you know for for early to mid 60s that's pretty creepy it was a pretty creepy shot pretty mm-hmm. uh, executed and talking about the house of thousand in, uh, house of thousand corpses being influenced by this the bit where uh, the the feral girls who've been tortured and are kept in a cage in Otis's room when mm-hmm. they put uh, I can't remember which the character's name but when they shove the one girl in there when Tiny's supposed to be watching her and he's eating the cereal and all those women jump up from under the clothes and kind of drag that girl down in with them yeah 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 totally took off on that scene yeah yeah i know a lot of people have always felt that house thousand corpses was rather texas chainsaw massacre like but oh yeah it's totally just rob zombie wearing his influences on his sleeve i mean it's his first movie and it's kind of his mission statement (laughs) more than it is a fully uh fully realized movie on its own it's just him going yep I'm here now, and this is what I like, so you're going to be getting more of this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Terry, did you get a chance to watch Spider Baby? Yep. What'd you think? I I liked it a lot. Um, first of all, Sid Haig should never not have a beard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a little kid in this. He does. He does. He's it so is, young. Yeah. It's like, creepy. Honestly, if I, I knew he was in this prior to watching it. And if I didn't know that, I may not have recognized him readily. Like, he yeah. looks just so different. Um, I mean, you know, except for the credits, obviously. Um, I think my favorite character is Virginia, the crazy spider one. Like, with her web mm-hmm. that she, like, throws on people. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> and she's like, talks to her pet tarantulas. Yeah, oh, yeah, was, the tarantulas, yeah. She was awesome and creepy while kind of being funny at the same time. I don't know. Oh, I totally I, agree. Yeah, like it's just, it's it walks a line that you're like, oh, is that funny? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and not to harp on that influence, but that once again, you know, it, that's exactly Baby from A House of Thousand Corpses, you know. Yeah. A, uh, a psycho female who goes from being funny and making jokes about killing people, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Yep. Yeah. You could probably, you could probably guess that, uh, the character name came from the title of the movie. So yeah, probably. Yeah. This, uh, this movie, I was looking on IMDb when I was watching it again this last time, this movie, um, was also called, well, it's, was also called Mad Story Ever Told, which is explained to you in the opening song. But it was also called at one time, um, or I think the working title was called, um, oh, and I forget, um, oh, shit, now I totally forgot. <laughs> uh, someone else say something about Spider Baby. I'm gonna something like this. Cannibal Orgy or something that like was that. That was it, yes, yeah. yes, duh, yeah, because that's also part of the song. Um, cannibal Orgy, and I guess, according to IMDb, Jack Hill had written a sequel to it called Vampire Orgy, and it was about the the couple that survives at the end and their adventures on their honeymoon, I guess. <laughs> I would like to have seen that. I know, right? How cool would that be if it was just like a series of films and it was just always about that couple, but like 
every different film covered like a different like horror genre and you know and they just keep getting mixed up in these wacky adventures and in different uh, genres you know i'm kind of surprised he didn't get to make that because he was a pretty prolific director through the 70s um, working a lot for Roger Corman. He made a lot of black exploitation movies too. He made some of the best ones, in fact, which is weird because he was an old white guy. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, you'd think after his repeated commercial success, making Roger Corman buckets of money with all those Filipino movies like Big Bird Cage and, uh, you know, the women in prison stuff, yeah. that Roger would have been like, all right, what do you want to do? You know, here, here, go make a thing. <laughs> and, and that would have been like his I mean, maybe it just wasn't a project that he was really that passionate about maybe he had other stuff he cared about more but yeah, yeah. you'd think if he really wanted to do it the opportunity would have arisen at some point in the 70s I mean yeah who knows it could have just been him of like you know I just move on to the next thing and kind of forget just, about it that was 10 years ago I don't need to do that anymore kind yeah, of thing yeah exactly or it could have been a Roger Corman thing. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of those movies were Roger Corman's like, I need another women in prison movie. Go make me one, Jack. And Jack's like, well, I got an idea for a sequel to Spider-Baby. No, I need a women in prison movie. And Roger Corman said, does it have Pam Greer's tits in it? And he went, well, no. And Corman, well, then tough. <laughs> exactly. Back back to the Philippines with you, my slave. Exactly. And, and I don't know if anybody can confirm this, but I had always heard Roger and Jack didn't always see eye to eye. There was some always a little bit of uh, tension between those two. Because I think, I think eventually, like I don't know if Roger fired him, but I don't think it. They ended paths on on good terms. I don't think a lot of people did ended paths with Roger on good terms. I <laughs> I get the feeling that Jack was maybe a little more of an artist than Roger wanted. It could be. Could be. Which is interesting to say, considering some of the people that have come out of the Roger Corman camp, right? A lot, a right, lot of yeah. a lot of great artists. But that was a lot later on. You know, Roger was getting less and less hands-on by the time you get that uh, sort of new Hollywood school of directors. Yeah, coming true. out of New World Pictures and that. But true, true. All right, cool. Anything else anybody want to add about Spider Baby? John, have you seen it? You're, you've been awfully quiet. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, but uh, yeah, I'll agree with Terry about Sid Hag needing a beard. <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. Like, I know who that guy is, but why is he? Why is he creeping me out right now? I don't. I just, I just see Sid walking around now, and I'm just like, oh, poor guy. <laughs> but then I watched the movie, and I was like. Well, at least he had some years where he was jumping around, being crazy. So it was, he wasn't some, always he, that slow. Some slimming right. years, you're yeah. saying? <laughs> not only does he not have a beard, doesn't he also have his eyebrows shaved off in this? Yeah, I don't, th- yeah, I don't yeah. think he has a, a stitch of hair on that head. Yeah. He, no, I think he had eyebrows. Okay. I mean, I'm he just, might have been drawn on. I mean, no hair <laughs> other than his eyebrows, though. So. But just that was creepy enough that I'm. It's making me envision him without eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Such is the power of Sid Haig's naked chin. <laughs> I and thought you were a- going to say something else for a second. There. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. now. No, this was still made in the early '60s. He couldn't do that. I, I I still think it's probably one of his best performances. It's one of my favorites, anyway. He's just so fun and childlike in this movie. Yeah. And actually, I didn't even... 
I wasn't even aware of the Sid Haig, Roger Corman years until way later. So, like, before yeah, House of Sid Thousand... Was in, Sid was in most of those movies that Jack Hill Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty, much, pretty much all of them, yeah. So, if, so Jason, if you want to see some uh, some more skinny Sid Haig, we can go and watch uh, watch some great women in prison movies okay. shot in the Philippines. If you want to there see Sid Haig one... looking like he's about to die, then... Oh. Sorry. There is one where, oh my god, and I can't remember the name of it. I actually don't think it's a Roger Corman one, but it was uh, it was a mid-70s women in prison movie, but it's very non-exploitative. Like, I have never almost seen so many boobs in my life, and I'm drawing a blank, it's going to drive me nuts, but they played it at B-Fest like six years ago. And it's a, it's a spoof, like it's a comedy. And Sid Haig's character is this sort of like Pancho Villa revolutionary type dude. It's fucking hilarious. So now I got to look up the title now because it's going to drive me nuts. Is it also? I, is it also with hmm? Pam Greer? Uh no, Pam, oh, Pam okay. is not in this one. She would have. There would have been boobs. Yeah, uh, that's true. I'm, if I'm thinking, it's uh, John Ashley from the Blood Island uh, Eddie Romero movies is in it though. Oh, nice, nice. Well, they did like like four or five movies together in that time frame. Sid Haig and um, Pam Greer. And it was the first time that he played some kind of like revolutionary character too. So yeah, that's usually what he wanted because they could, you know, he had dark hair and his skin wasn't, you know, super pale. So he could just yeah. be like, okay, you're going to be a Filipino guy now. You're going to be a Mexican guy now. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I also like what or Henry Silva got the same treatment. <laughs> I also find it interesting that during this time when he's making all those, all these like, you know. Uh, TNA films, uh, exploitation films with Roger. He was also doing like, what was the name of the what was the name of the Saturday morning Sid and Marty Croft show uh, that he was in? Oh, um, it was a space. Uh, Jason in the um, shit. What was the name of it? It was a Saturday morning sci-fi show, and he played the the main villain in it. Electra Woman and Diamond Girl? Uh, no. Yeah, he appeared in that, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. Are, are you uh, not Land of the Lost? Jason, Jason Marty Croft, No, Jason. You know, it's Sid Marty Croft. It's uh, Jason of Star Command. It was only on, I think, a couple seasons. I, I've got I've got the box set of it, and it's and I popped it in. I'm like, holy shit, that's Sid Haig. Sweet. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> so Brian, what do you so think Mike, of, what do you think of when I say cannibal movies? I think that all that talk of House of a Thousand Corpses is a good transition into the movie that I took the most notes on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will you show off? Yeah. I even did some research. All right. So I would like to bring up Macabre from 2009, written and directed by the Mo Brothers, expanded from their short film Dara, which came out a couple of years before this. Uh, all right, stars... cool. Let's get into it. Yeah, because I got some all things right. to say about this one too. Good. This one is a lot of fun. Uh, it stars Sharif Danish as Dara, who uh, I can't remember if it was for the short film or for this one, but she won a fairly prestigious um, industry award for her performance. Uh, for this one, not not from like the U.S., it's not like an Academy Award, obviously, but whatever uh, the Indonesian version of that is. Uh, Julia Stell as Ladja and Ario Bayou as Aji. 
Um, it uh, it's about this dude named Aji and his pregnant wife Astrid. They're being driven to the airport by a group of friends, along with uh, Aji's estranged sister Ladia. Their parent. I I kind of got the vibe that their parents have died, and he inherited all the money because that's how things work over there. Because he's the guy. Uh, they didn't really expound on it too much, but he's trying to give her a check for a fairly large sum of money, and she's telling him to fuck off. She doesn't need the money. She wants to work for herself and all that kind of thing. And uh, on the way to the airport, they pick up a hitchhiker named Maya. She claims to have been raped and needs a lift to her home. And once they get there, Maya's family insists on showing their gratitude by having the group stay for dinner. Why, yes, that wine is drugged. And what is that strange, thinly sliced raw meat? If you guessed Soylent Ham, you get no points because this is the cannibal episode and things are about to get fucked up for these people. Uh, you know, my first thought when I watched this movie was, hey, the title is the same font as the band Macabre uses for their logo. <laughs> John uh, My second thought was, how the hell did something this deranged get made in Indonesia, which is a country notable for its strict regulation of entertainment? Ready for a little history lesson? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, so the first domestically produced film from the Dutch East Indies was shown in 1926, and just as that infant film industry was learning how to walk, it was smothered in its crib by the Great Depression. Just as the film market was recovering from economic collapse in the late 1930s, World War II broke out, and the occupying Japanese forces commandeered it as a wing of their propaganda machine. Uh, once the war ended and Indonesia gained its independence from the Dutch colonial government, the Sukarno uh, regime used the country's film industry primarily to create pro-communist and anti-imperialist propaganda, which pissed off the Islamic faction in the country to no end. And since many of the high-ranking Indonesian military officials were Islam, that ended poorly for Sukarno. In 1968, Muhammad Suharto led a coup and took over the country, and many films came out of Indonesia during his 30-year rule, but they were subject to a very strict censorship code. Uh, the eruption of colorful exploitation films that come out of Indonesia in the 80s made up for the fact that they weren't allowed to show any sex or nudity or extremely graphic violence by being some of the most absolutely batshit insane things the genre has ever seen. Suharto was overthrown in 1998 when his policies were leading Indonesia into another economic collapse and the reform period began, which ushered in a much more liberal socio-political climate and allowed movies to talk about things like sex and religion and hacking people up for barbecue. I fucking love this movie. It's <laughs> just, it takes a little while to get going, but yeah. once it does, it is just wall-to-wall -wall carnage the entire time, and it's wonderful. <laughs> And it's it's really it I mean, not really funny. It's not like haha. -ha, like it's not like delicatessen. It's not goofy, yeah. but it's very blackly funny. I mean, there there are moments when awful things happen to people, and you are pretty clearly meant to get a chuckle out of it. And I, I appreciate that kind of sense of humor. My kind movie. of movie. Yeah. Did you? Oh, well, you didn't get to see it, John? Did you? you I, I saw. Well, I I just got Shutter, and I started to watch it, but I started watching it late at night, and I fell asleep. Nothing against the movie. Uh, just, yeah, fell asleep, but I do plan on watching it, though. I mean, it, hell, it's probably a movie I'll try to buy if I can, if it's available. Well, that's one yeah. of my big notes there, is that it, it is a slow start. It starts slow. I mean, like, it was really hard for me to wait till that moment when it starts get when it starts going shit-ass crazy. So, and, and part of that, too, for me, honestly, is probably 
you know, I just wasn't caring about the characters or anything like that. So I, I think it was like a, a disconnect, um, you know, uh, being being a, a foreign film, you know, a, a cultural disconnect. So that probably has a lot to do with it for me. That and I had to read. <laughs> that all See, doesn't like, help. Yeah. I watched this one too, and. I mean, there was a little bit of exposition, but I guess I didn't feel like it was super long in the beginning. I think I I got I was interested fairly early on. Mm, okay. But I mean, yeah, it takes a while for them to like start killing people, but that's not all that's interesting about movies, you guys. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> well, no, I know, well, but also too, those are interesting. Yeah. <laughs> also, too, the big sell for this movie for me is the fact that it is like it's it's so you know visceral and you know a lot of blood, a lot of gore, a lot of a lot of gruesome stuff, and a lot of like you know cool kills and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Because because also like on the surface, I think it was it was mentioned on Slack or or whatever that. This movie's like an Indonesian version of, um, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or House of a Thousand Corpses or whatever. It's because, like, those notes are there. When they pick up the girl, it's like, well, this obviously is is the hitchhiker character from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know? (laughs) And so it just, it didn't feel like it was giving me anything new until, like, the shit hit the fan. Sure. So I'm I'm, I'm coming to the guy in the apron and the chainsaw starts cutting people up then you're like finally something new i'm just kidding yeah definitely (laughs) had some um some texas chainsaw vibes for sure i mean you know sitting sitting around dinner and all that sort of stuff too but i don't know i guess i was still i was still in it even though i knew that it was what the general setup was gonna be like yeah i I figured out things and i'm like "Mm, i don't care still enjoying myself <laughs> that's, Since that's how i feel about slashers it's like yeah nine times yeah. out of ten it's the same setup but i'm really just in it to see how creative they can be with the kills and and really just have fun yeah like i even found myself there was a point when um the mother uh gave astrid the pregnant lady like a cup of something to drink and i'm like don't fucking drink that you bitch <laughs> like i found myself like <laughs> I'm like, she's going to induce your labor so she can eat your fucking baby. Like, that's what I was saying. Mm, delicious. Out head. loud to the TV. Your neighbors well, in my complain. head, baby but it was happening. And that dinner scene, that's what, that was the, well, I guess I should say the first point when it reminded me of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. The hitchhiker is a girl this time. Yeah. Which, yeah, baby which is, is just nice the hitchhiker from Texas Chainsaw, but a girl. And now we've got sure. another one taking them back to her house. But that dinner scene... You know, by the time you get to the dinner in Texas Chainsaw, everything is fucked. Yeah. But in True. House of a Thousand Corpses, they're still like, yeah, these people are a little strange, but things are like they the characters don't realize. Yet. Yeah. And it's the exact same way in House of a Thousand Corpses. And even later on in the movie, when uh, the one of them, uh, Echo, contrives to escape, through the woods and brings the cops back. Yeah. It's like in House of a Thousand Corpses when uh, Sheriff Whitell and his deputy show up at the house and they have to take the cops out too, except there's like 
six cops in this one. <laughs> yeah, there are. I guess they travel in packs they, over there. They all travel in the same vehicle? Like, how is that effective? And, I, mean, you know, I think... That area is kind of sketchy. Yeah. So. But I've seen are that they? in a lot of movies from this part of the world, though. Like, um... Oh, what's the... Uh, Starts with a B. John, help me out. It has a... Uh, came out a couple of years ago. It's about a, a group of cops that are all traveling in the same van, and they get in a wreck, and they wind up in this weird time oh, loop. Oh, um, 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 Baskin. Yes, Baskin. Oh, same deal. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember if that is an Indonesian movie or not, but it's from roughly the same part of the world, and I've seen a lot of similar things in a lot of other movies, too, where... Yeah, that's just apparently how their police force works. It's a bunch of plainclothes cops who cruise around in a minivan. Um, well, I mean, really, if you think about it, those areas really are sketchy. Like, yeah. Jim Bob, go out on your own, and, uh, you know, if you get a call, just try not to die, you know? <laughs> Safety in numbers, man. And then, you know, the, the apron dude turns around, and the cop's asking him, Sir, are you all right? <laughs> he turns around, and there's a pencil in his eye, and they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not all right. <laughs> Put the little kitty cat at the end of the pen, the little pen pencil topper. I thought that was yes. hilarious. Or teddy bear or whatever it was. Yeah. Is this the that, cat you were telling me about, Brian? Yeah, that's one of those moments where this movie is just really meant to be funny. It's yeah. fucked up, but it's funny. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, I agree with you. It, it It's a fun movie. It's really great. Um, it's a fun, fun ride, but it just, it just took me a little bit to get into it is all. But, yeah, and those cops, man... Um, I mean, you were talking a, about a, a blue light and some guns mean you're police officers. Yeah, exactly. So. The thing that bothered uh, me most like about America. them was that they were just in like <laughs> yeah. their street clothes. I'm like, these these are cops. <laughs> like, Which is probably what? the way. It's like we said. It's probably the way it is in Indonesia. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, and then there's like no police protocol whatsoever. Yeah, it was very informal. It was like it's, they were just a group of dudes hanging out. Yeah. Here we call that open carry. <laughs> <laughs> so it does. Though you were talking about how it wasn't giving you anything new, but it does introduce. It, it's not a brand new wrinkle. Obviously, this has been done in cannibal stories before, but for this type of movie, I've never really seen it where the eating of flesh, and it's kind of implied the younger the flesh, the better, because they want Astrid's baby. Which, right. how, how great is that scene when they're trying to get her and she's holding the door shut and the knife comes through the door right through the door? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like you would to- typically see in a movie where the hand's there in the foreground and the knife conveniently goes through the middle of the hand that's what you would normally yeah. see it's like it's almost like a it's like the worst paper cut ever because it's like yes. between the two fingers oh. just right by the knuckle and you're just like oh fuck and then pulls the hand down and then she from the pulls blade it down like, oh. Oh. Yeah. It's awesome <laughs> what, is it, what is it with indonesian stuff where they like what was it in the raid yeah when the knife the- goes through the wall and it's on his cheek oh, oh. like <laughs> shit like that what is it with those sickos <laughs> uh, but I didn't. I didn't think they telegraphed the hand thing, right? But no, they, 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 where I was going with that was that uh, eating the flesh makes you at least functionally immortal. Yeah. Because yeah. they find that yeah. photo of Dara, and it's dated like 1889. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was an interesting story point too, as a as um, the guy who gives out the list for podcasts, though, I got a little nervous at that moment in the movie. In retrospect, it was a cool, it was a cool little addition to this, yeah, to the whole cannibal, you know, evil family kind of thing. 
um, subgenre. But uh, uh, but as as the guy who does the list for the podcast, I got a little nervous. I'm like, oh fuck, these aren't even humans. How is this a cannibal movie? <laughs> well, they're they're humans. They're just uh, yeah, but I didn't know prolonging their lifespan. Yeah, but I and it's I, not even. I got paranoid and jumped to conclusions though because I was worried about the show. <laughs> yeah, I let. I mean, at first I thought it kind of bothered me that they only sort of hint at that. You know, they, I mean, early on when they, before shit hits the fan and the family is sort of walking around and observing the house, they see like these really older photos and things like that, more really antique photos. And they don't really full on reveal a date or anything until the quote unquote cop. <laughs> is looking at the pictures um, next to the uh, conveniently placed projector with a bunch of uh, family yeah. footage. <laughs> that that part was a little annoying. But... It was a little bit, but I, I forgave it because it was still cool. Yeah, but, but his reaction... Realize, here's some more stuff. <laughs> like here, this is showing us killing people as children and then showing you... And then the pile of photos is picture of young daughter, picture of older daughter, picture, you know, or it's the, it's the same person, like, it's just showing the young and older version, like, right next to each other, cleverly in the stack. I'm like, that's a little obvious, but whatever. They're just really, really weird, meticulous people. They're, They're just, OCD. Like, just, I would, yeah, that's all, that's all it is. It's fine. Well, my, it's other, fine. my other problem with looking at the home movies was the fact that that cop's reaction to it was so slow and delayed. I'm like, it, you know, first he watches the whole thing, you know, and then I like, don't get it. What can, this and, isn't America's Funniest Home Videos. And he just stands there with his mouth open for like 20, 30 minutes until somebody turns the lights out. Like, it, it, an American cop would be going in with guns blazing at that point. <laughs> He's like, and then he gets murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Happens. Hey, special guest who we've allowed to say six sentences so far. (laughs) Did you see this movie? I did not get to see this. Ah, Do you have Shudder? Yes, I do. Check it out. It's on there. There's another movie called Macabre on Shudder, by the way. Just look for the one that has a description that has cannibals in it. Or it looks Asian. Well, the other you... one's the William Castle movie, I'm guessing? No, no it's, it's, it's the uh, Bava one. Yeah, oh, okay. which okay. I have. Wow. Yeah. Which is also has cannibalism in it. Oh. Oh. Nice. So, so check that one out, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, look for West Asian people. <laughs> well, the, the thumbnail for the film is it's, it's showing the, the mom with the chainsaw and the, the woman fighting her off. Yes. So. Yeah. Like that toward the end when it's the mom in like the white outfit with like her chainsaw like spattered to blood. I'm like, man, if I was a petite Asian woman, I would totally cosplay as that, but I'm not. So <laughs> uh, you're what? <laughs> yeah, so good, great film. Yeah, and last note. I just want to say, like, I know people are kind of uptight about the baby thing. I don't have children, so I can't really speak from a personal reference on that. I have nephews and nieces that I love, but I kind of love that they don't shy away from the dead baby stuff. 
because I, I have children and I also approve of okay, good. I was trying to tiptoe. Your kids also that. rule, and they would probably also they approve. Would love it. Exactly. No, they they totally would love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I bet your no, bet this fellow's commentary with like the baby bones. I was like, oh, that's awesome, and I'm like, oh wait, should I say that? Like I felt bad immediately, but I still loved it. So. Um. Uh, well, I think I was a little confused about the about the baby thing. So, they did want the baby to eat it because I thought I thought yes. at one point they wanted the baby to raise it as the next child. Hmm. No, I'm pretty sure. I mean, if they were raising it as the next child, there would be a bunch of children. And did you see that room of baby bones? There were not that many children. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure that was a tie into the whole. You know, the younger of meat you eat, the younger you can stay. Sort Did of you deal. see that room of baby bones? <laughs> just said. There's another t-shirt. Uh. <laughs> Quotes from the podcast. <laughs> oh, just be a book. The deaths were so emotional, too. Like, it was good. It's just good. You should watch it. So I need to see this now. Yeah, well, it finish good. it, I should say. You, you, yeah, you totally need to finish it, like, the, that lead actress is more soaked in blood by the end of that movie than I think Lionel in Dead Alive. So. Damn. Yeah, she gets pretty drenched. Yeah. Yeah. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, Tad, what movie would you like to talk about, sir? Um, I don't know. Let's see. We can move on to... One of the uh, either Cannibal Holocaust, maybe. All right, all right. Classic Italian cannibal film. Uh, tell us about it. You want me to tell you about it? Yeah, go for it. Mike's okay, never well, seen it, so yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say it's probably one that everyone here has seen. Uh, a uh, during a rescue mission, the. Uh, in the rainforest, a bunch of students uh, get caught with a tribe of cannibals. It's pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah. Well, they, and, then, <laughs> yeah, and then they're next it. to the uh, cannibals, and and guess what happens? People, yeah, <laughs> they all get out alive. It's it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then actually, they take the cannibals, take them out for drinks and everything. They become buddies. Yeah, total twist ending. Yeah, total twist ending. Well, there's the Holocaust means party in... (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. In in what language? In Yanomamo. Yeah, Yanomamo. The translation is a little weird. Thanks, Brian. (laughs) But that was totally a stalter's joke right there. Oh man, I'm not the worst person on the show now. Well, there's the unique aspect of this film that makes it stand out from the other cannibal films in that it's majority um, found footage style. Um, which makes those which makes those scenes where like they're all getting slaughtered at the end of the movie to me so much more terrifying and 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 visceral and gross and just and like not even that it's like super awesome effects it's just the the use of like a handheld camera really 
kind of puts you in there. Cutting away, and it's just mm-hmm. it's not a bunch of movie cuts. It's just like you're stuck on this thing. Yeah. yeah. Just so grimy, nasty. Go. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say again, when it comes to this movie, like you know, we talked about how like our main characters of this movie are a bunch of assholes. Really, they're not. They're <laughs> not nice people. Shit stains. No. They set fire to the to the tribe's homes and like with them in it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they're they're just even abusive towards each other and stuff. And yet. A lot of the horror community talks about how this is like the holy grail of cannibal films, but then hated freaking um, Green Inferno. Green Inferno because those characters were assholes. I'm like, really, <laughs> really? You can't find a, a more dislikable group of protagonists in cinema history than Cannibal Holocaust. But the ones in Green Inferno bothered you. No, the diarrhea joke bothered me. That's <laughs> that's where it lost me. <laughs> What's wrong with a good diarrhea joke? It doesn't fit the film. No, yeah, nothing if you're trying to horrify people. Well, in fairness... Well, at least a different kind of horrifying. In fairness, John, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fit the film in that movie. True. Like the whole film. <laughs> oh, like the cannibals yeah. getting, getting munchies because they ate the pothead. The yeah. only part about that movie I liked was the list of better cannibal films in the end credits. Oh... <laughs> At the end of the day, I still liked it. I'm sorry, but I'm also I'm also watching it with Italian glasses on. I'm like not expecting you know something. You know, I mean, right, it's that, not that's as that's the problem. I was watching it with Italian glasses on too, so I was expecting to enjoy it more. Oh, then, interesting. Then, then I got douche bro Holocaust, and it was fucking infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and for me, it was like, I was so excited to see it, and then it went through, you know, distribution hell, so it just kept getting hyped more and more in my brain, and then when I saw it, I was like, well, that, nope. Nope. Not at all. Mm. Not this way. I I went to see that movie, and almost everyone else in the theater is either talking or on their phone with the visible bright screen through the whole thing, and instead of getting mad, I was like, talk louder, I can hear the fucking movie still. (laughs) Just... Let's blur this out, please. Oh, are those pictures of your kids? Cool. Oh, that one—that's—that's that's a cute dog there. Fuck mm. this movie. All right, I guess I'm in the minority. Anyways, Cannibal like Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, sorry. Well, to well, podcast. Exactly. What we do. <laughs> oh well, what else? What else? You? What else we gotta say about it? Well. Okay, I tried to watch it. Yeah, I know. And yeah. I, yeah. We heard. We heard. For the audience, they're avoiding speaking about this because they know that I was upset by this movie. <laughs> it was I, fine. I apologize, like, Terry. No, 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 it's fine. Um, I guess, and we've talked about this a lot, but... I tend to block you guys out sometimes, slash always. Um, (laughs) But, and I knew that there was going to be animal violence, but I guess in my mind I was like, oh, well, it's like, oh, they did some stunts with animals and they accidentally got killed, like so many movies in the 20th century. I'm like, oh, it's fine. And then I watched it and they straight up murdered... Uh, a Kawada Mundi 
on the camera, like, in front of me. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? And I was upset, and I turned it off. So you didn't get to the turtle scene? Nope. I was done. Or the pig scene? <laughs> nope. Well, I know there are a bunch be... more. I found Seriously? out after... Yeah. Well, just uh, watch the cruelty-free version. Just, I mean, you won't see any animals get killed, but you'll well, see, see a lot yeah, of and, people get killed, and, and that's also you know better. And I, I've heard, and someone, I think someone posted that there was yeah. a cruelty-free version, which I would be more willing to watch because I've heard like there's actually it's actually a good film and it's got its merits, and I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, I kind of not you know what happened. I'm not, like yeah, like I'm not a fucking PETA member or something, you guys. Like well, you better not saying. be. They kill more animals anyway. Hey, <laughs> let her talk. It's, it's it's just upsetting to me, and so yeah. I'm like, you know, there are thousands of movies that have quote unquote merits out there that I have not seen yet. So I'd rather give them my time than some asshole who killed animals on camera for shock factor. And Ruggiero Deodato has come out and said that he, regretted he regrets it. doing it right. since then. And that's yeah. where that cruelty-free version came from. And it really undercuts his point because he was... The Italian cannibal cycle started with a movie called Man from Deep River by Umberto Lenzi. And Woo. other people got in on it, but it was basically... It wound up just being Lenzi and Deodato getting into a dick-slapping fight if we could beat them. <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and so, with Cannibal Holocaust, Deodato was a better filmmaker than Lindsay by a long shot. So he could put a little bit of intellect into his work. And he's said that his what he was trying to do with this movie was to call out Mondo filmmakers like uh, Jacques Petty and Prosperi, who made the Mondo Cane movies. Yeah, because they like that's where this whole they, okay the the story about lemmings jumping off cliffs came from a Disney nature documentary that was following the Mondo uh, uh, model by shooing these lemmings off a cliff because they thought it would make for a more interesting movie because really lemmings just kind of sit around and look like gerbils and that's not very exciting. And uh, so Deodato was trying to call out the filmmakers who were doing that kind of thing problem was he did the same shit they did and yeah. completely cut the legs out from under his point. Yeah, but so. and but like you know, you talk about because um, unfortunately, it's not the only cannibal movie that's got those those kind of scenes in it, right? Like, oh, not at all. Is it? Uh, right. Is it make virtually them all of them do? Even if it's yeah. all, like sometimes it's only like a snake or a crocodile or something, but you know, it's not always cute fuzzy stuff. But yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so. So unfortunately, it kind of opened the door for that too. So, although John Morgan, uh, aka Giovanni Lombardo Radice, who played the jerk character in, in uh, Cannibal Ferox, was supposed to, he was like he's a total pacifist. He wants nothing to do with any kind of cruelty. And there's a scene in that where his character is supposed to go after a pig with a machete, and he refused to do it. So they had a special effects guy do it but they needed pickup shots of him swinging the knife covered in blood, so they had that same effects guy kneeling down beneath the camera out of shot with this big like tub of blood that he was supposed to splash this machete into. And whether it was deliberate or not, 
it remains up in the air, but one of the downward swings of that machete basically did to the effects guy's hand what happened to Astrid's hand in Macabre. Mm, and Jesus. so he got, kind of got revenge for the pig in that manner. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> we were making a movie in high school where I almost got my hand chopped off by a machete. <laughs> <laughs> Safety was a top uh, concern, I see. Oh, hell no. But there, the... <laughs> It was supposed to, I was wearing thick winter gloves because the special effect was going to be um, was going to be an insert shot of a Pringles can filled with fake blood um, with my shirt sleeve over top of it and that glove on top of that. So the machete would swing and hit that, and the inertia of the machete would would spill the blood out of the Pringles can. So we were doing. It was going to be two shots. The first shot was me laying on the ground, my arms in the air, and the killer pulling the machete back and getting ready to swing. And then the second shot was going to be the close-up shot of the special effect. Well, uh, for some reason, our killer did not understand what he was supposed to do and fucking swung and hit Whoa. my and hit my hand. But luckily. The fact that we were so lazy with our special effects that we decided to use, make me wear winter gloves in the middle of summer, um, that I was wearing these winter gloves and it totally sa- it had to have been the only thing to save my hand, because like I couldn't move my fingers for like weeks afterwards. It probably broke my hand and I, I didn't even go to the hospital for it. But uh, um, yeah, it 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 was. Uh, and then like after that, how I, did he get confused? Like, what did he I think know, was right? going to happen? Like, fucking, I don't know. We're gonna a special mm. okay. And then after that, I had to walk around with another Pringles can that was done up like a, a, a stump, like I was missing my hand. So I had to force my now broken hand into this Pringles can <laughs> for the rest of the movie. That sounds pretty fucking horrible. It was awesome. So, Cannibal Holocaust. What do you like about it, Tad? Well, um... I don't know. It was one of those films, like when I first got into horror, everybody sort of talked about, and you know, it had a mystique around it. And when I, f- I feel like when I finally watched it, I sort of felt like Terry did. I was like, you know, the f- I really wish it didn't have those scenes in it because I, I love everything around those scenes, and um, I know they were doing it for the shock factor. But and and I'm not some PETA guy or whatever, but uh, it does. I don't know. Sort of taints it a little bit for me. But outside of that, um, it. It is really well made. It's terrifying. I love the score. Oh. Um, it, it's very, I, I don't know, I think that was it's probably the first of that sort of um, wave of cannibal films I actually saw, so everything I saw after it felt like an imitation. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, you're absolutely right about that score. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love when you hear a note of it. You just... Oh, you're stuck, and it sends shivers up my spine. I freeze, man. I'm like, it's like to me, it's one of the two most haunting scores in cinema history. The then second... you must really love Mark of the Devil because Rizor Talani completely stole the score of Mark of the Devil, which came out like six years before this. Oh, really? Trust me. Trust me. Listen to that. That main Cannibal Holocaust theme. That do 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 do, which sounds so cheerful and is completely inappropriate right. for the tone of the movie anyway, yeah. is like literally a note for note lift of I want to say Mark Jacobs is the guy who did the score for Mark of the Devil, but I I'm not a hundred percent on that, but yeah, it's it's on Spotify. Check it out and tell me if it's not the same fucking thing. I'll I'll try. I don't think <laughs> I've never seen Mark of the Devil, but oh, 
it, it's all got of, Udo Kier and uh, uh, Herbert Lom in it. It's great. Nice. All the whole score, you know. Yes, that that opening song that's just so in, so happy and gleeful. That that haunts me, and then just the overall the that happens to the whole movie when bad stuff is happening freaks me out every time so like yeah it still works oh totally and like it's seriously i talk about how like i'm terrified to ever watch martyrs again because of the personal effect it had on me was cannibal (laughs) cannibal holocaust (laughs) score and requiem for a dream score those two music (laughs) scores just to hear that music Freaks me the fuck out. Can't handle it. Yeah, and that pew noise you were talking about is, and us imitating it <laughs> makes it sound fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but that that part is genuinely pretty effective because it is. I really like this movie. I'm I don't know, I'm a horrible person. I guess whatever. I wrote my senior thesis on it in college. <laughs> I saw nice. it, I, I saw it in the theater with at, at a midnight show in Minneapolis with a group of uh, you know like midnight cult scene punk rock dudes with spikes and leather and mohawks and shit who i swear every single one of them when the lights came up looked like they'd spent the last 80 minutes being beat with a pillowcase full of bricks (laughs) and it's and we talked about a little bit on the john carpenter episode when we were uh i was talking about cigarette burns how i like that movie that or episode whatever you want to call it uh story because I identify with the Norman Reedus character of always searching for that next thing that's really going to affect you. And Cannibal mm-hmm. Holocaust is one of those movies that I still feel punched in the gut by it when yep. I watch it. Absolutely. And I've seen it, you know, 10, 15 times now probably, if not more. And, you know, I'll, I'll watch it again. <laughs> it's it's not one that I, I can't go back to because I do like it. And I love Italian cannibal movies. I can... They're an acquired taste, and I can look past the animal <laughs> violence because whether you believe these stories or not, they claim that the animals were all given to the native tribes to eat because they're, you know, a, a protein source that they would have been using anyway. Whether they, you know, even though they weren't treated uh, terribly humanely, you know, poison arrows is a lot nicer than a machete in the neck. But um, yeah, it's a movie that still has that power over me that I look for that I just don't get anymore every time I hear about some movie coming up it's like oh this is the most shocking brutal thing and it's getting you know gets all this hype on the internet and I'll rent it or you know watch it on Netflix or whatever and like eh (laughs) it just doesn't do you know and this is one of those movies that can still do that to me this in a Serbian film agreed couldn't agree more absolutely couldn't agree more. Uh, one more thing about that opening, that opening happy music. Um, I think it was also very well used in the short film Treevenge. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Treevenge! The coolest Christmas short ever. Yeah, and that's like the second that song comes on when it's showing all these lumberjacks cutting down trees, I'm like, okay, this movie is totally for me. <laughs> I totally get if nobody else got that reference, man, I was I'm just happy I did, man. I was so yeah. so happy. Once you guys finally talked me into watching that when I saw it, I was like, Oh my god, I recognize that music. Uh-huh. <laughs> And John, that movie we were talking about earlier, Baskin, that has a yeah. music cue from this in it too. 
Oh, jeez. It's it's not yeah, that it's, it's not it's not that main theme. It's that thing. Oh, oh, yeah. There's a point in the movie where something happens, and it was immediately like, oh, something nasty is going to happen because I know this music, and it means nothing good. <laughs> and here's kind of the sadist that I am: is I know one day I will own that soundtrack on vinyl. Which no. the Cannibal Holocaust one? Oh yeah, Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, I dude. I bought that shit when it came out. <laughs> uh, I, I I put. I, I assume John does as well. I'm. Tr- I have Cannibal Ferox. I know that, but I can't remember if I have Cannibal Holocaust. I've had it in my hand several times now at different cons, but this last one I ended up buying uh, the Phantasm soundtrack, Deadly Spawn, and a shirt for me, and a shirt for you. And uh, the basket case soundtrack. So, um, couldn't fit. Couldn't fit Cannibal Holocaust in the budget this time around. So, I would have taken out the shirt for me and gotten the Cannibal Holocaust. No, you deserve that that shirt. shirt. Yeah, I know. I got to get it sent out. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I have tomorrow off. Or I could just, you know, maybe make a road trip and come see you guys. Well, actually, Jason, you're playing in town on Saturday. That's true. Oh. Gonna... Yeah, there's no fucking reason for you to send that. Just okay. send it with uh, yeah, Jason. Yeah, I'll send it with Jason. And then that makes John have to go to the show, so I love this plan. <laughs> yeah, which we will discuss uh, the details later when we're yeah. not talking on a podcast. Right. <laughs> right. That. Uh, uh, anything else about Cannibal Holocaust? It feels like, I, I don't know what else to really say that feels like it hasn't already been said. You know, there's the whole there was the whole... Him having to go to court and prove that he didn't really kill human beings. There's that whole thing. Um, there's the iconic woman uh, on the pole. They just don't cut away, and it's from That's all so this shit. But it's like brutal. They just mm-hmm. show it for well, way too long. What's great? What's great is it's, it's such a simple effect too. Yeah, so, way too much rape. <clears throat> yeah, uh, there's a lot of that there as well. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to add about about it, Tad? No, not that I can think of. I think everybody said what I my thoughts on it. So okay, all right. Well, um, I feel like probably the most uh, I don't know, quote unquote, normal movie I put on this list was Wrong Turn Two. Uh, what do you guys think of the Wrong Turn series in general? They're enjoyable. They as a very steep decline in quality after the first one. But yeah. yeah, but deaths, you know, creative deaths, fun deaths, whatever you want to say. I mean, okay, um, yeah, I think they kind of. I, I personally feel they start to trail off after two. I really love two a lot. Is two yeah, the one with two is my favorite Rollins? one? Yeah. Oh, two is your favorite. Yeah, nice. I think so. Nice. What was that, John? I said it's two with Henry Rollins. Yep. Which right and there he, that sells me. You know, it doesn't well, matter yeah. what the movie is if it's got Henry Rollins in it. But yeah, there's a commentary track on the DVD with him and the director, and he is just an inexhaustible fountain of great stories. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Doing that. yeah. Um, Much better than his music. Hey. Oh. No, whoa. no, John's right. This music's not very. Good. I, I I absolutely love Henry Rollins to death. He is one of my heroes, but. Fuck, his music sucks. The Henry Rollins band, or yeah, Rollins band. I, I, I ha- like "Liar" is like the only song that I can tolerate, and that's not even that good of a song. Ouch! Damn. And this is coming from a guy that used to have a Rollins band T-shirt that he got at Goodwill for a buck. Huh? 
You were really invested then, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I really was. But, pissed. like, the man himself fucking love him to death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All, like, four foot of him or whatever. He's tiny. <laughs> Don't tell him that. Yeah, he'll Don't squish you like a bug. <laughs> squish me back a But, okay, so, like, I, I mean, my favorite is the first one, but I really, really love the second one. And the second one is, is just a fun bloodbath. Um, you know, kind of like a macabre, only a bit more silly, I think. Um, directed by Joe Lynch, uh, who also I'm a fan of, so um, that's why I put Wrong Turn Two on the list and not the first one. So, um, so Tad, why is it your favorite out of the series? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it has a lot to do with Henry Rollins. I think uh, it has a bit of humor to it as opposed to, I feel like the first one was I mean I love the first one um, but I, I like a little dark humor thrown in and I feel like you know Joe Lynch uh, I don't know he catered more to me with the second the second movie it, it felt like it was more fun to me I don't know totally. it's not not as not as good of uh, production quality obviously or anything the first one feels like it you know obviously was theatrical and I, I believe this one went straight to video and everything after that did too right I believe so yeah mm-hmm yeah, so it has a little bit of that feel to it, but uh, I don't know. I just it feels more fun to me. It doesn't take itself as seriously. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I I, I feel like um, Joe Lynch's sensibility is right in tune with mine, and the, all of his movies that I've seen so far play into that. So um, even Knights of Bad Astem, which I I love, even though he uh, Joe Lynch himself uh, is disappointed with that movie because it kind of got taken away from him, but. But but did you get a chance to watch uh, Wrong Turn Two, Jason? No. Okay. I'm so bummed. I mean, another reason why I put it on the list is so you would finally watch it because I also I've, know you're a big Henry yeah, Rollins I've, fan. Yeah, I've seen some clips and stuff, but I never got. I didn't get to. Ran out of time. And what's great is you get to see Henry Rollins kick some ass in this movie too, which is awesome. Because he he plays like this military guy, and oh, he's just he's just outstanding in it. He's just so much fun. I can't believe it's 10 years old already. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, Terry, did you see this one? Nope. Okay. And, uh, John, what about you? He would uh, tell you if uh, he was uh, available. Gotcha. And, <laughs> and Brian, did you say you saw it? I can't remember. He would say the same thing. Damn it. He could. He, what, he what could tell I you right now. <laughs> oh, what, yeah, there he is. What do yep. you thought of Wrong Turn 2? Yeah, I've I've seen it. I liked it. I listened to the commentary on it. It was one... We talked about this a while, but maybe, I don't know, six months or so back on another episode. I can't remember which one it was for. But uh, I remember going over it then, and I don't really have anything new to add. Okay. It's fun. Go rent the DVD, listen to the great commentary track. Um I like the first one better, and that's about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jason just pulled up the movie on Amazon, and I forgot how much I don't like that cover. It's such a generic-looking... It's pretty blah. Blah for such a uh, splatastic movie. Hmm. All the covers sort of suck on this series. Each one is like looks very much similar to the last one. They're hard to yeah. differentiate. Yeah, that's true. Now, which one is it? Is it part four that uh, got pulled off the shelves? Bloody Same, Beginnings. Anybody know that story? Remember that story? 
I remember that. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was part four where in in a scene there is a poster on the wall. God dang it, how's this go? It's like part six. Oh, part six. I think so. I have it just because it got pulled. Like, oh, this might be worth something, but... There are six? Yeah. <laughs> there's like, there's like eight or something. Jeez. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big... It's way up there. Okay. So, well, what's the story? What's the story, John? I can't remember. I'm trying to remember if it was something like a, uh, a girl that was like kidnapped and murdered. They used a real photo of her in like a scene. I think that's what it is, yeah. And like the family, you know... Obviously got angry because they they used it without their permission or something, and so yeah, it got recalled. Yeah. Okay. That was it. Yeah. So of course, all the horror fans like rushed out to get it, so they had the version with the poster in the background. <laughs> hey, yep. yep. Exactly. exactly what I did. Actually, somebody John else always does. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to it fast enough. Not that I'm one of those guys, but I'm totally one of those Don't guys. Don't worry, it's still not worth anything. <laughs> not even out, worth watching? It's still not worth it. I haven't even opened it. <laughs> I think I think 4 is where I stopped. Um, which I think was the one in the winter or something like that. And, like, I, I could not take any more of them. They're, they just they go downhill so fast. It's too bad. All right. Um, hey, John. Hey, what? What's a cannibal movie that you like? I rewatched a few movies. Uh, you know, I, I thought about originally just talking about can- uh, Cannibal the Musical, which I've talked about before, I think, on Woo. something. Because um, <laughs> it is a goddamn classic. Yep. But I rewatched Ravenous. Ah. And I fucking love that movie. It, it had been a while since I uh, watched it, but it's. It's still as amazing as it was the first time I saw it. Has everybody seen it? Yep. Yeah, we watched that. What was the episode we watched that for recently? Something. <laughs> we've already okay. talked about it. Then. No. Yeah, it's fine. No, I, I, I haven't got to hear how much you love it. So the whole, that's actually, the ending of it is actually in my top five endings of all time. Um, but anyway, so the whole movie it takes place in what, like the mid eighteen hundreds. Um, Guy Pierce is the main actor in it, and his character gets a sort of a, a promotion, demotion kind of thing, and he gets to he he gets sent to this like shitty fort, kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. Um, he's like third in command. Um, it's just a hand. I'm mean, like like literally just a handful of people, like five people. Unfortunately, David Arquette is uh, one of them. Um, but he's not he's not too bad in the, this movie. But anyway, so this man comes along and they they help him out. Like he's severely frostbitten and they take him in to, you know, bring him back to health. And it's uh I'm trying to remember the character's name, but it's um oh fuck now I'm blanking on his Robert Carlyle. And he tells the story about how he was with this group of people they got lost essentially um and they they ran out of food and they didn't know what to do so the the leader of his you know group started eating people so they're like oh fuck we gotta take care of this you know we gotta we gotta do something about this so he lures them to the cave 
where every, all this took place, and it turns out he was the one that was killing people and eating them. And then it turns into like the the Wendigo uh, mythos, where if you eat the you know eat the flesh, you gain that person's spirit, soul, whatever you want to say. But you basically kind of get uh, more powerful, or you heal and stuff like that. And then it just kind of goes from there, and almost in a weird way, it kind of becomes a slasher flick for a little bit. But uh, I mean, it's just Robert Carlyle being batshit fucking crazy part of the movie, and you can't go wrong with that. Um, truth. Yeah. Truth. Truth. That's a truth of two. <laughs> but really, the ending, though, it's Yeah, it's I one really of my like favorite. the ending in this one, too, for sure. One of my favorite endings. The ending I mean, where they're fighting in the cave and hit each other with every single thing that's in there? Well, they're just they're just fighting, and yeah, they're, they're literally hitting each other like with <laughs> anything and everything. And then Guy Pierce pushes up him and Robert Carlyle onto a giant bear trap. Yeah, kills them and, both together. And then they, he's like, and Robert Carlyle's like, you know, if I if you die first, I'm totally eating you, and I'm getting out. <laughs> it's like you yeah. better better hope that you that I die first. But what are you gonna do? Because you don't want to be a cannibal, and you don't, you know, all that shit. But <laughs> oh, it's such a fantastic movie with an awesome soundtrack by Damon Albarn from uh, Blur, or as you kids would know him from uh, the Gorillas. <laughs> Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah oh, my that guy. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows about fucking gorillas, but nobody cares about Blur anymore. Song <laughs> two. Fuck that song. <laughs> That's the only one I know. <laughs> the only one anybody knows in America. <sighs> what do you mean anymore? Nobody ever liked Blur. I did. <laughs> John was the only one. <laughs> Back in my British. British phase in the phase in the mid nineties. Yeah, the best part of Ravenous is that um, Theo from The West Wing is in is in the movie. Oh yeah, that is him, isn't it? Is it John Spencer? Is that his name? Like, yeah. And it's actually technically the last movie he was ever in. Yeah. Uh, he because this was this was in ninety nine, and he stopped doing films to focus on West Wing, and then what? He died in two thousand five or something. Yeah. Sad day. Jeffrey Jones is great in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's obsessed. His, his character's obsessed with tiny nuts. <laughs> his, char- like his character? Or, yeah. <laughs> and that's the pro- I really think he is a fantastic actor, but now every time I see him, whether it's this, Beetlejuice, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all I can think is Kitty Diddler. Oh, really? Now, no, it was, it was, it was never... Was never hundred percent confirmed. He just like taking pictures. He was busted with child porn on his computer, yeah, wasn't like, he? That's yeah, pretty that confirmed. doesn't that doesn't mean he actually did any touching. He just he just like photography. That doesn't matter. He touched himself to these photos, and that's bad enough. But it sucks because I really like him as an actor because he's really good and ravenous too. Especially in the second half of the movie, he really really uh, pulls out the big guns with his acting chops. But God, he's yeah. Yeah, it's it's too bad. He's he's good in a lot of stuff. You ever seen Mom and Dad Save the World? Am I the only probably, still the only person in the I've world seen that's seen that? God, I haven't seen it since it probably came out on VHS. <laughs> that movie's so awesome. And isn't he the isn't he the uh, devil in Stay Tuned? <gasps> You're right. He is. <laughs> which I love Stay Tuned. Special, but it's out of print. 
And I'm not spending fifty fucking dollars on a John Ritter movie. Wait, that movie's going for fifty dollars on on DVD? Something like that? It's out of print. I've got it. I'll say two forty nine. And, and, and soon have... you will have fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to blow you for it. That's for Trey Rack. Uh, I saw Stay Tuned in the theater, sir. Good luck finding a theater that played that movie. (laughs) No shit. (laughs) But anyway, but yeah, Jeffrey Jones does a fantastic job in that movie. I mean, really, everybody does a solid job. But really, Robert Carlyle fucking just... When they first get back to the cave, and he's like digging in the ground, acting like an animal. Like looking for, was it, looking for the knife that he buried or something? Yeah. Fucking creepy. Just... Suddenly, kind of turns feral. Awesome. God, I fucking love that movie. I could watch that again, like I, tomorrow. I need to watch it again. I haven't seen it since it was first out on video. That's how long it's been. So I remember nothing. I remember. Damn. I remember loving it at the time. I do know that. It's definitely a movie that that gets a lot of love, but it's a movie know. that got love way after. It's kind of it's kind of turn kind of. Uh, because I don't think it did very good in the box office originally. I mean, I don't think it did horrible, but I but don't remember. And it was directed by a, by a lady. I don't remember her name. Oh, that's right. Is Antonia that where we talked Bird. about it before? Was that might have been it. Ah. That's what it was. Antonio. But she Bird. she got yeah. she got hired because the original director got fired like two weeks in, and I don't remember the reason. I mean, I read about it, but he got he got fired. And Robert Carlyle's like, hey, I got this uh, director friend. Uh, you know, I've worked Antonia with her. Antonia like, Bird. Yeah. And so she got brought on. She did a great job. Cool, cool, cool. I think the original director accidentally used some of Jeffrey Jones's Nambla magazines to oh. start a fire on. And- <laughs> oh, <laughs> Marlon Brando looked like him. Oh, man. All right, enough Kitty Diddler jokes. Back to ho- back to Holocaust jokes. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, real quick, this is going to show how horrible my family is. But oh, since we're God. talking about the Holocaust or Holocaust, there was that picture floating around of uh, um, oh God damn it, what's her name? Anne Frank, and it said uh, uh, World Hide and Seek Champion from you know whatever year to whatever year, and I, I showed that to my dad. And thank God my dad doesn't listen to this because he'd be horrified that I brought this up. But he <laughs> sort of to him and he goes, man, I love a good Holocaust joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't worry. Like, we're not horrible people, but fuck, that made me laugh so goddamn hard. Hey, let's all remember when we start feeling bad about uh, laughing at Holocaust jokes that there was once a, te- a comedy on television called Hogan's Heroes. So, Or have you heard of the British show, um, Kyle, I'm Home? What? What? I brought this. I thought I brought this up on the show once. Uh, in the late '80s, early '90s, some dipshits over in England thought it was going to be a good idea to make a show about Hitler and Eva Braun, like as a sitcom, and it was called "Heil, Honey, I'm Home." <laughs> <laughs> Look awesome. it up it's on YouTube, and it's not. Oh my fun. God. Like when I first heard about this, I'm like, "This is going to be really edgy and hilarious." Nope, not at all. <laughs> Dumbest shit. Yeah, bummer. Wow. Heil, Honey, I'm Home. I mean, yeah, if it was, like, in the vein of, like, the producers, like, Springtime for yeah. Hitler or something. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's definitely some good, you know, uh, Hitler humor there. 
And it's okay because it's written because that movie's written by a Jewish person. So there you go. Mel Mel Brooks did a lot of uh, Hitler he jokes. He did <laughs> in his career. Well, if there's anyone who deserves to be made exactly. fun of more, uh, yeah, exactly. oh, absolutely, yeah. After Donald Trump, it's him. and the most appropriate person <laughs> probably to make those jokes. <laughs> uh, I just have one request. Um, whoever writes up the description for this episode, it's like, if you want Holocaust jokes, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and if oh you want God. pedophile jokes, then this is the episode for you. Okay, and then anyway. we'll get kicked off of iTunes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I get traffic actually. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, that's a sad, <laughs> sad state you don't too. Need yeah. that kind of traffic. <laughs> Is it true? <laughs> um, so who got to watch? Because I didn't. Uh, we are what we are. Yeah, I, I was actually going to just say something about that. <laughs> Try to derail yeah. this train wreck. <laughs> All exactly. the so I, I, didn't get I to saw this a few stuff. years back, but me too. Let's hear about it, because I haven't seen it. Yeah, Brian. All right. Yeah, I saw it back <laughs> when it came out too, but I then rewatched it for this because it had been what did it come out twenty thirteen, I think. So yeah, been three or four years since I've seen it. It's not one I took a lot of notes for. I figured somebody else would handle that because I was too busy researching the Indonesian film industry. (laughs) Uh, But it's about this father and his two daughters and young son and uh, their mother dies and so the eldest daughter, Iris, is uh, sort of saddled with the burden of taking care of this family. The dad's kind of a religious lunatic. They, They keep to themselves on the outskirts of the little town they live in and as the town uh, doctor is doing the autopsy on their mom to figure out what's going on, he discovers that she died because of a rare prion disease whose symptoms uh, sort of mimic Parkinson's and starts putting two and two together as uh, he discovers that not only, you know, his, his daughter had gone missing years ago, but if you, if you looked at a map of the surrounding towns, over 30 people had gone missing in the last few years from all the, the small towns in this little rural area they live in. And uh, he starts pushing the local authorities to investigate this family who he begins to believe more and more are responsible for all these disappearances. And sure enough, they have, they're part of this, uh, they're sort of the last scions of this diseased lineage of uh something similar to what happens in Ravenous where this uh, group of travelers got cut off in in a really bad snowstorm sometime in probably the 17 or 1800s and took to cannibalism to survive and not only did it drive them nuts to the point where they took this on as a tradition this movie addresses something that I don't really see I don't recall ever having seen in another cannibal movie and it's it's the the real world flip side of macabre, where in macabre eating human flesh gave the people superhuman strength and gave them some sort of functional immortality, whereas in this, eating human flesh is a good vector for prion diseases, which are these horrifying uh, brain attacking 
microorganisms that basically eat holes in your brain and turn them into Swiss cheese. This is the reason why it's illegal for cattle feed to contain any kind of uh, blood meal, bone meal, any kind of marrow, any part of uh, any organic component that comes from cows because it spreads mad cow disease. And just in the same way, people eating other people is a vector for these prion diseases. So uh, the the dad is starting to exhibit these symptoms too, uh, what they call pill rolling, something with uh, people with Parkinson's and other uh, neural degenerative diseases do, and uh, tremors and all these other things. And the doctor comes to confront them just as he decides that they're warped religious uh, philosophy decides that you know God is saying it's time for them to eat another human victim because it sort of temporarily stays these symptoms and uh, so yeah things end poorly for all involved <laughs> cool cool yeah I remember when I watched this film I was so you know I'd Honestly, cannibal films aren't probably my favorite genre. Um, <laughs> what? What? No. Um, but I was really intrigued by this movie. I didn't know too much about it. Um, but the whole idea of the diseases and things like that, that, it seems like that's not something that's really ever touched on in a lot of other cannibal films. But that's the real, that's the truth of it. You know, there are so many pathogens and things in our blood and it's bound to happen. So the fact mm-hmm. that they like were talking about those, I found that I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is. It is pretty cool. New take on things. I think the whole reason I actually ended up watching this when it came out, I was browsing at Family Video, and uh, I was I was suckered in with the um, Sundance laurels on the cover, and I was like, oh, you know, this is like a, a horror movie that played at Sundance. Uh, the cover, you know, has the two little girls and the dad. I was like, I'll check this out. Uh, I think it was like a dollar fifty. I bought it and took it home, and I was I was expecting nothing and absolutely loved it. So it was one of those things. Is like everyone that asked me, you know, what movie should I check out on Netflix? Like, watch this one, watch this one, and uh, now I've have a lot of friends who are really into it or they really loved it you know and it sort of i don't know it, it really surprised me when i watched it just because i i didn't even bother reading the back i was like i'm just going to go into it blind and it really uh it really really affected me it was awesome uh looks looks great has great cinematography the performances are all good uh i feel like it's sort of a hidden gem not a lot of people talk about it and this is one that much the opposite of you i was anticipating coming out because it's actually a remake uh the original is mexican i want to say yeah or maybe yeah yeah. and uh i remember dread central following this very closely when it was being made that oh there's this mexican cannibal movie and they're doing a remake of it and i've never seen the original i've never been able to find it maybe it's out there on video now i don't know Uh, since this one is I don't know, gained popularity is the right word, but I think it was somewhat <laughs> successful. Obviously, it was big at Sundance. Yeah, it did all right um, when it came out, I thought. Yeah, and it has a Larry Fessenden cameo in it, which made me Woo-hoo! very happy. Yeah. <laughs> that it did. And tiny little fart noises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. It's It's been like one of those that you know is good, but like it's just been growing on me since I watched it. Like I keep going back and thinking about it more and more and those those kids did a great job. Like I was just into their little struggle with it, you know, wanting to stop, but you know, and I don't know. And then like the 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 young deputy blonde kid, like he was like he was a like a handsome kid, but at the same time he was like kind of weird looking. So I don't know. He was just like different enough that it just had a realness. To mm. it. I don't know. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know where you were going with that one. I was like, oh. "Are you?" He, uh, He's a you handsome, a handsome fellow. Yeah, no, very uh, handsome, but you know, not too handsome. I don't want to say that. Right? No. <laughs> no, I thought, but there was just so. I just. Okay. It was. I just found myself enjoying watching him because of I his handsomeness. You did. Anyway, no. There's just some. I don't know. And just seeing him and the the kids, and then you know, I'm just see. That's why I don't talk. You guys, yeah, yeah. this is why he doesn't talk. I was going to say the same thing. The way you're spacing <laughs> out what you're saying is not helping you no, at doesn't. all. Hey, Michael Parks is awesome in this, right? <laughs> He's awesome in everything. <laughs> I really like Michael Parks's performance, and it is great. Really cool. subdued and yeah, Michael Parks is always awesome. Well, oh. it was awesome. Oh. Sad face. Oh. Okay, cool. Well, I should watch it. Should watch it. I'm the only one who hasn't seen it. Wow, I haven't seen it. Oh, well, John and I will watch it together, holding hands, wearing our Neon Maniacs t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Cool. Any others? Um, I'm trying to. Th- I mean, we could talk about Cannibal nope. the Musical, but we've talked about it before. Could just, could just oh. sing Spudwinkle Day. Spudwinkle. That's how we should take out. We should end the show. We all sing Spudwinkle Day. <laughs> I say we didn't talk about raw meat, right? Yeah, that's the only one left. Oh, and I, and I did that's watch right. that. Rewatched it. Yeah, I rewatched it too. Let me start with a little story, okay? (laughs) About about raw meat. So, I first found out about this movie by reading uh, Chaz Ballin's uh, article in Gorezone Magazine, Peace of Mind. Wait, I think that was the name of it, right? Peace of Mind, I think was his article. And I was, well, still am a huge fan of his writing and his taste in, in movies and that magazine, Gorzone magazine, I thought was superior to the parent magazine of Fangoria. Um, and mostly because I, because of his articles because of him and those, and the article in that magazine is what really first turned me on to, you know, Italian gore films, the, you know, the Fulci films and, and all those. So, when I so I searched high and low for anything that was mentioned in one of his articles, and the first time I saw the movie, I will say I was a little disappointed, based on what I thought the movie was going to be, um, because of reading those articles. Now, 
I've seen it several times since then, and I, I, I do like the movie a lot. It's, it's a fun movie. Um, a little slow, but, uh, but, a, but a great movie. Um, but, yeah, and then the fact that it's got a title, Raw Meat, really leads you in to believe you're getting something along the lines of some kind of crazy-ass, splat-tastic Italian gore flick, but it's not that at all. And it's, uh, well, I mean, it's got... Like the scenes when you're in the the monster or whatever the cannibal's lair, and it does that slow like twelve hour pan around the whole lair with all the dead bodies strung everywhere, and then just slowly oh, backing out of the corridor. That, that how the fuck did they pull this off? Three hundred and sixty degree pan of that thing before it goes back out through the same hole in the wall it comes in. Exactly. Seriously, how the fuck did he do that? Yeah. A, for 1972, that was an amazing piece of cinematography right there. Um, yeah. So I just did that shot alone. I'm in awe, and I love the movie for for that. Not not just not just because it's got some cool dead body gore in it but the but that amazing amazing shot 360 all the way around and panning all the way back down the corridor freaking awesome so i don't think um any movie will ever live up to that awesome poster that's on imdb though of like all the uh white-eyed people and the big bearded dude at the top i mean it's like such a crazy poster and the original uh poster for the death line title Oh yeah. yeah, that poster. They there was a uh, a poster vendor at um, Crypticon that had one of those like not normal, the, not normal poster size, but the bigger ones, the huge Four like foot by eight foot. The, the, yeah, the the ones that are used for drive-in theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, exactly. Wow. Uh, of that same poster, and it was gorgeous, and oh. I so wanted it, but I it's I like, I. I I a thousand dollars that not, we had on it. What's that? How much you have on it? Was it thousand? No, oh. was that the one that or was five hundred? No, no maybe it was five hundred. Anyway. I don't remember. So yeah, one, I'm not going to pay that price, and two, I really try my best not to buy a ton of posters because I've got so many posters that are laying around that need frames. Um, that uh, I that I just try to refuse to buy full size posters anymore just because. It's just gonna sit in a box somewhere. So until one day I get them all in frames. But anyway, we're all like, oh, go ahead, please. I was gonna say what what I love about this movie too is that um, Christopher Lee gets a top billing even though he's in it for like thirty seconds total. <laughs> That's right. There is just they, only one. Yeah, scene. he is barely. Yeah, barely. The in it. reason he's in this movie is that he was friends with one of the producers, and he was having dinner at this guy's house. And happened to ask, what are you working on these days? And the producer said, oh, I'm doing this movie called Deathline with this guy from Chicago. And Christopher Lee said, well, let me see the script. And he read it. And he said, well, can, can I, I would like to be in this. Because this was, he was just coming off his final time playing Dracula for Hammer. Which, a role that he fucking hated doing. And the producer said, well, like, what what you get paid for a movie these days because of your fame as Dracula and all this work for Hammer, that's like our entire budget. I can't do that. And Christopher Lee said, look, I can play the MI5 guy for a day. I already know how to do that because I was, you know, in the uh, Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, which is the greatest fucking title yeah. ever. He's just the best. And he said, I tell you what. 
I'll do it for scale if I don't have to wear any fucking teeth. (laughs) (laughs) So he basically did it as a favor to his buddy. And then Donald Pleasance got the role of the inspector, obviously, which he was thrilled with because nobody ever offered him comedy at this point in his career. And he he owns the shit out of this movie. He is so goddamn funny. And to be honest, like, he... He really doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose to the main storyline of this cannibal underground, you know. But yeah. a lot of majority of the movie is on him, and but he steals this. He steals every scene. He's so funny. And uh, did any of you guys uh, get a chance to read that article I posted into the Slack group? Oh yeah, about Marlon Brando. Yeah, Marlon Brando was originally going to be the monster in this. Whoa! Because apparently yeah. he really enjoyed getting makeup put on. Like he liked doing the the special effects stuff. That's not weird. And so his, you know, this was when was this made? Seventy. Seventy two is when it came yeah. out. So you know, this was before The Godfather made him a megastar. Obviously, he'd done other stuff, and people knew who he was. He uh, was uh, on the waterfront, right? Yeah. yeah. The Stella, you know. Street, but anyway, that's Streetcar. Street oh yeah, Streetcar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus Christ, nerd. It's not a horror movie. No, but not, anyway. He doesn't need to know that. Point being, Marlon Brando... Yeah, I don't like classic films. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't watch movies. Different kind of classic. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he was his agent showed it to him, and he was excited, but he wound up being contractually obligated to do something else, and they couldn't get him. But, yeah, had it not been for a, a scheduling conflict, Marlon Brando would have been the monster well, I, in Death Man. I thought in the trivia for uh, on IMDb it said one of the reasons why he couldn't do it is because his son got sick. Mm. Maybe that's what it was, yeah. I mean, it, it could have been both, too, but, I mean, it was... Now that you say that, I, I, I think you're right. I think I was remembering it incorrectly. Well, I corrected the historian. Ah, well. Everybody <laughs> gets <laughs> one. <laughs> Everybody gets one. What I think is interesting is uh, I watched this and I instantly thought of um, Edgar Wright's uh, trailer from Grindhouse... And then I was, oh, I was looking nice. into trivia, yeah. and it's one, I was looking into trivia, and it says it's one of his favorite movies. I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it, that trailer "Don't" or whatever. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, yeah, and it's clearly like influenced <laughs> by this. It's that. That's yeah. a movie that needs to get made. Yeah, I would love it. It would be great, but don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, because isn't isn't there like a guy in that trailer that looks just like the guy the cannibal in this movie i think it's simon Pegg, isn't it yeah oh you're right yeah. oh. I, I actually haven't seen the trailer in a while but i just don't yep <laughs> yeah that was my favorite grindhouse one for sure absolutely it's sort of interesting to note that this you know watching it it's like oh you know like you said it's sort of slow and i wish they had a few more of the kills maybe in the in it yeah. But um, it it's interesting looking back and thinking this came out before Texas Chainsaw or The Hills Have Eyes or any of that stuff, uh, and it doesn't really get the maybe it doesn't get the credit it deserves for for some of that influence, you know. Oh yeah, agreed. I could totally agree with that. Absolutely. Kind of gives me a little Chud vibe too. Yeah. Chud, not Chub. Chud vibe. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Is there a difference? Thanks for correcting me, sir. (laughs) You bet. I thought I'd jump in there before you did. And I think is it the the main character, the the guy who's from America? Is 
I think his name's Alex or something, maybe. Um, he's like one of the least likable characters, too, sort of like we were talking about Cannibal oh, yeah. Holocaust. It's like right away you sort of think he's a dickhead because he's, he, he wants to just leave the dude on the stairs, you know, and yeah. uh, he's constantly yelling at his girlfriend for giving a shit about him. He's like, why do you care about this guy? You know, you're an idiot. Let's move he's, on. He's clearly drunk. Well, I don't smell yeah. any alcohol. Well, who cares? Right. Maybe. Just, yeah, he's a complete knob. To be fair, the guy who they left on, or he wanted to leave on the stairs, was a member of parliament who just minutes before was seen trying to solicit a prostitute. So, really, <laughs> he, he probably was a but fucking he doesn't know egg. that. He doesn't know that. <laughs> but then he was kind of justified, too, after he got grilled by the inspector, you know, and then went home and basically told his girlfriend, I told you so. Right, so they got involved. Yeah, 40, 40 years after the fact, that guy probably would have voted for Brexit, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a forgotten film, and I definitely highly recommend checking it out. Um, I need to get the new Blu-ray of it. Oh, yeah. Who put, Brian, who put that out, do you know? Uh, I'm blanking Under- on it. Blue, Blue Underground, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, of it like, literally just came out within like the last like month. Or something. I mean, very, very new. Is Blue Underground still a subsidiary of Anchor Bay? I'm not sure. Or have they parted ways? Because I don't know, is even Anchor Bay a thing anymore? Yeah, but honestly, I don't really think they put out, um, like, older stuff. Like, it seems to be a lot of newer shit. But yeah, it is Blue Underground. They put it out under Deathline. Oh yeah, under the Deathline title, yeah. 20 bucks, that's not bad. Cool, cool, cool. All right, sweet. Um, any any honorable mentions or anything anybody want to bring up before we uh, take a break for segments? Not that I can think of. Nothing for me. Okay. Cool. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, it is segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Hey, horror fans, this is Mike, one of your troop leaders over at the Horror Scouts podcast. I, with my co-hosts Brian and Nick, want to invite you to check out our show. We post new episodes twice a month that include movie reviews and general discussions about horror. They're coming to get you. So whether we're handing out merit badges for things like writing, directing, and gore, or just talking around the campfire, we'd love for you to join us. Head over to horrorscouts.com for more info and subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Horror Scouts Podcast. You can also find us along with all the other awesome shows on the Phantom Podcast Network at downrightcreepy.com. And if you prefer social interaction over spending time with the bodies hidden in your shed, reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter with at horror underscore scouts. So grab your headphones and wrap a bloody bandana around your neck. It's time to sign up and be a horror scout. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick... (laughs) 
Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark, if you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. (laughs) Will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Hey everybody, this is Wayne. This is Zip. Lori. Brian. Doug. And we're the Necronomicast, a weekly horror podcast brought to you by us, horror fans for you, horror fans. We talk about movies, books, celebrity interviews, your mom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say. (laughs) Necronomicast. Uh, We also talk about streaming movies, new movies, as well as news in horror. And that's just a sample of what you'll get on the Necronomicast. <laughs> Do we say horror movies? <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com. Also visit us on Facebook. And on iTunes and all that. Necronomicast. Uh, we'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com for more madness and horror and blood. We're good. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> And welcome back. It's uh, time for segments on the show. And we're going to start like we always do with some shout outs. It's time for shout outs! All right, so basically just asked what your favorite cannibal films were and got a hunk. We got a large amount of comments. Up first, we got Michael Groves. He says, Hannibal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Michael Gross? Groves. Oh, shit. Yeah, Michael Gross. (laughs) Bert from Travers. Bert. He says he likes Hannibal. Yeah, see, we didn't. We didn't. The movie, talk. the TV show. Oh yeah, forgot about the TV show. TV show is pretty good. We haven't talked yeah. about any of the like Hannibal Lecter stuff, so cool. Thanks, Michael Gross. Yeah, <laughs> love you on Family Ties. Uh, our buddy uh, Mike Franklin, he says Cannibal Holocaust, hands down. Ew. Right. Gross. <laughs> And the next one is a guy named Stanley Fulci says <laughs> Sweet! Are these people really related or are they just trying to get some attention? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to Mike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Old Mr. Fulci says Jungle Holocaust and Cannibal Apocalypse don't get enough credit. Because I forget which ones are which. God damn it. That's the worst part of Jump. like of those cannibal films. They've gone through so many different titles. And honestly, a lot of them kind of feel the same. That I forget which ones are which. I seriously do. The only two that ever stands out to Well, three. That ever stands out to me is Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Ferox, a.k.a. Make Them Die Slowly. Because that was always my first cannibal uh, film experience. 
And um, Emmanuel and the Cannibals, just because, yeah. You know. Because Naked Lori comes here. Uh, Cannibal Apocalypse, the one with John Saxon. The, 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 oh, that's probably okay. the lone Italian cannibal movie that has no animal cruelty in it. And, but it's good. Uh, but, well, that's because it's not in the jungles, right? It's like, actually, right. yeah. Well, they do blow up one supremely fake dog mannequin towards the beginning of it. But Okay. Uh, and then uh, Jungle Holocaust is one of about 18,000 alternate titles for the man from Deep River. Oh, Which is that okay. one kind of kicks the whole genre off. Yeah, Mr. Fulci says he especially likes Cannibal Apocalypse because John Saxon's great, and the urban setting is something different. Yeah, it is It is a completely different film than your traditional Italian cannibal film. By, but that, and they treat it almost like a virus in that movie, don't they? Kind of, well... Like you, kinda, you can yeah, turn into in cannibals? Way. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like once you get the taste for it, like you just want more and more and more, kind of yeah. kind of like in Ravenous and... I mean, other other movies of that, you know, style. Speaking of Ravenous, up next, our pal Mike Reeb, poster hey! guy extraordinaire. He says, Ravenous, such a great movie and cast. <laughs> and we got Tim Lennerer. He says, the first movie that came to mind was the deeply stupid The Undertaker and His Pals. <laughs> ah, yes! That is a ton of fun. It is. I, I did watch that one. I didn't take any notes for it or anything. It was just kind of a little aperitif uh, before the show. And it is, it's sort of like if uh, Benny Hill and H.G. Lewis had a special needs child. Exactly. That's <laughs> the perfect description. Yeah, Tim goes on to say he has a genuine love for this film, partly because he saw it at his first B-Fest, and partly because it's like a feature-length Benny Hill sketch, but in a good way. <laughs> And then he goes on to say, and I can't think of Cannibals and Brian Clark without something very particular coming to mind. Of course, <laughs> Flesh. Oh, man. Oh, I've told that story to yeah. you oh, yeah. guys before about him delivering eight oh, copies yeah. of that silly-ass book to me. <laughs> and he posted some pictures, of course, of the event of delivering this book to you, and... <laughs> Yeah, that picture is the one that came on the uh, plate along with my bill at the Halakahiki Tiki Bar. <laughs> <laughs> and did you did you have that business card made? Or... <laughs> no, Tim did. Because <laughs> that's pretty awesome. We <laughs> <laughs> like Tim. Up next, we got Willis Wheeler. He says, Green Inferno. Another fan. About time. There's two of you. Yes. And he also says, Texas Chainsaw 1, 2, 3, the remake, and Chainsaw 3D. He likes that chainsaw. It's all in the meat. What, no love for Next Generation? Uh, Nobody anyway. loves that movie. No. <laughs> I'd say it's better than, than 3D. Or, uh, oh. I don't know. What? Oh, no. Oh, man. I have to go around and around about that. <laughs> Some other time. Up next, we got. I know. So bad, good, but you know. Uh, Jacob Smith says, "I think I'll just throw Cannibal the Musical out there." Woo! (laughs) Please say it every time it comes up in this list, okay? But once. (laughs) Yeah. We got Melissa Baxter says Sweeney Todd. Oh yeah. Uh I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good yeah. choice. 
Demon Barger of a bar, words. <laughs> Barber of Baker Street. <laughs> Fuck Fleet, Fleet Street. Fleet Street. Fuck. Baker, Baker Street is Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. During the podcast, Sherlock yeah. versus oh, the Cannibals. Yeah. Oh, Don't we love that up. one? Oh. I would watch the shit out of that. It'd be like the greatest movie ever. <laughs> Uh, then we got Emily Gorham Rolf says Delicatessen. Nice. Or is that Ralph? No, it's Rolf. That's r- right. That's my boss. I was just making fun of Mike. What the fuck ever. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Rolf next. Kaninsky. Rolf Kaninsky. <laughs> we got <laughs> we got Scary Gary up next. He says oh, Scary Gary. C dot See, it counts. Cannibals it counts. Humanoids. Yeah, the word cannibal is... hazard urban disposal. Exactly. <laughs> no, there was a second one, though. It was cannibal as a humanoid... <laughs> Underground dwellers. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the contamination hazard one is the... Uh, right. True official title. The the cannibalistic humanoid one is the government cover-up uh, anagram right. that they're they trying to throw people off so they don't go down in the tunnels to see what's going on and they morph into monsters but really they're still just human beings yeah that are gone cannibalistic good answer scary gary and apparently have the uh, old uh, thai kung fu movie uh, yoga power of extending their necks oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it would have been topical to talk about on this episode too since john Hurd just passed away yeah sad sad face up next we got Carissa Martin says, wrong turn four. There's cannibalism in that. Makes me barf every time I think about it. Barf. <laughs> and then green Blech. face. Yep. We got Kyle Grubbs say, cannibal the musical. Spadoinkle. That's what somebody commented. I'm pretty sure you spelled it correctly, John. Yeah. Damn right I did. I, I love that's that right. movie. Spadoinkle. <laughs> Spadoinkle. Sure that's right. And then, uh... Our pal Jacob McLaughlin mentioned one that we didn't think about before, but we all love. Uh, yes. Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. I thought about that one, yeah. A brilliant Western horror hybrid with another awesome performance from Kurt Russell. I don't know about that. I suppose hey. it's more of a Western. Shut up. But the third act makes a Shut sharp turn. <laughs> I'm, it's my segment, yeah. goddammit. I can say what I want. <laughs> we, I mean, yeah. we've talked a lot about Tom. Bone yeah. Tomahawk recently, but yeah. Fucking rude. That is awesome movie. So good. By Love me a western plus, you know, horror things. Yeah. Even though Russ- I don't like cannibals. But, no. And Kurt Russell and his amazing hair. Oh, that the fucking yeah. facial hair, man. <laughs> this, yeah. Two weeks it took him to grow that. That's it. That's how man he is, <laughs> right? Try two days. Guy woke up and he's like, I'm not shaving for a couple, a couple days. And poof, giant beard. <laughs> And his Farrah Fawcett hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she wasn't using it. Oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Sean D. Wallace says, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. say D. Wallace? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Sean D. Wallace. I love all these celebrities <laughs> speaking up on shout-outs. It's awesome. Finally, they heard Tad was going to be on, and they're like, we're finally going to pay attention to this shit. <laughs> and, and then we poorly bear. God damn it. Then we barely let the poor guy talk. (laughs) (laughs) That will be in the comments about the show later. That's coming, so. (laughs) And we got Laura Potter says Ravenous was amazing. 
And then you and got, then we got JP, JP shot says, I'll go with <laughs> under the radar ones. Alive 93. Hunger. Fangoria Fright Fest. Hmm. Okay. Alive 93. I think Didn't that win an Academy Alive Award? How is that under the radar? <clears throat> but oh, but honestly, alive. nobody really talks about it anymore. From True. 93. Except it. Mike, he's the only one who... It's because I got an Academy Award and fuck those guys. He just likes soccer players. When I when I saw I saw it in the theater and that was during the time I worked at the theater and so it was one of those like I snuck in after hours, threaded up the projector and watched a movie. And I took like hamburgers with me just to get the full experience. <laughs> I can actually see you doing that too. <laughs> and I did. I oh did. high school Mike. <laughs> up next we got Mike Paul Sanders. Whoa, it's too close. Change your name, dude. <laughs> he said, make them die slowly. Cannibal Holocaust, Ravenous, and Alive. Matthew J. Stacy says, eat the rich. An 80s UK comedy about a gang of revolutionaries who kill everyone in posh London restaurant. In a posh London restaurant called Bastards. And then feed the corpses back to the customers. The film That's starred... So awesome. The film starred Lemmy from Motorhead and loads Whoa. of UK comedians. Definitely like, gonna have to check like that out. No say, shit. When Star you said a UK and movie called that. Eat the Rich, it was like they better have Motorhead on the soundtrack. And apparently they have <laughs> Motorhead in the fucking movie, so Seriously, Brandon probably owns the movie. He probably owns every fucking variation of that movie. <laughs> probably. <laughs> As a good. soundtrack signed by Lemmy's uh, facial cocoa crispies. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Too soon. And we got we got Andrew Glazebrook says people under the stairs. Good choice. Is there yeah. cannibalism in that? I don't remember cannibalism. Who cares? It's a good fucking movie. It's a good movie. It's not yeah, wrong. It's not wrong. <laughs> Ian oh, Ian <laughs> Ian Morris says what fucking Ian guy? I know. Every time I hear the word Ian, yep, yep. I say that at full volume like he does in the movie. Okay. Uh, Ian Morris says. Cannibal Run with Burt Reynolds. Love those Lamborghinis. <laughs> <laughs> well played, uh, sir. Well played. That, that made chuckle. That fucking Ian guy. All right. Fucking Ian guy. Jerry Dwayne Monk says, Last Man on Earth and Omega Man. We don't really know, do we? Those are vampire movies, but... Yeah, okay. so they sound like vampire. They're definitely vampires in Last Man on Earth. But it's Omega Man similar. A, a disease, it's a, just a reincarnation. It's big like enough, maybe. Story. Yeah. yeah, I say go. I think, with it. But 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 okay, I can point. I can put this in the argument. Those creatures <laughs> don't eat, eat each other. Up next, we got Peter <laughs> Parker. Peter Parker's up next. Spider Man. Yeah. Yes. He said hi, guys, and wear tear. Here is a short list of some flicks that came to my mind. TCM. Good one. Offspring. Ooh. Soylent Green. I would count that, yeah. Yeah. And here's where I sound like Mike. Uh, He says, uh, De Grand Slater, The Green Butchers. He's listing the foreign (laughs) title first. Somos lo que hey. We are which we are. Oh. That was close. Man, I ain't saying this next one. That was the Mexican version of that movie, then. The original. Right. Bat Sin Fan Dim. 
Yen Yuk Cha Su Bao, the Eight Immortals Restaurant, the Untold Story, aka Bun Man. The Is that then also Human Pork Buns, the Untold Story? That must have a lot of alternate titles too. Or there might be two different movies made about the same story. I don't know. Could be Pork Buns. Same director who made Ebola Syndrome. Good click. That stuff's this a great movie. <laughs> if you're fucked in the head. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says, most of these movies are not your typical cannibal film, but I thought they were worth mentioning. That's it. Keep up the great work, and hopefully I will soon catch up with you. He says he he's a completist, so he had to start with episode one, and he currently is listening to episode 97. So bye-bye, and see you next yes. time. He's putting in the work. Well, yeah. what was his name again? Who's that? Peter Parker. So Peter Parker. Spider-Man. How did you forget that? No. <laughs> I just want to say hi to, I just want to say hi to your future self at the age of 50. Yeah, do you think he'll <laughs> listen to this now that he's commented and he or is he going to wait? Oh man. Are they getting better or are they getting worse, Peter? You got to tell yeah, us give us better. some feedback since you're better. If you, if you sure. live long enough to get to this episode. Definitely when that John guy started. That's when it got good. <laughs> yeah. So he's going to wait, and then, yeah, I was going to say, and then <laughs> Professor Nerdlinger showed up, and oh, God, what a fucking nosedive. Oh, my God. But he's got a dreamy voice, so, you know, it evens out. <laughs> up next, we got Dustin Kretzinger says, Alive. Dakota Livingston says, Detour. 2003. Never seen it, but yeah, I've seen it on lists, yeah. Melissa Snyder says, Green Butchers. Yeah, how the fuck? That's my friend, and I'm like, how the fuck have you heard of that movie? And I haven't. <laughs> I had to look it up, and it's got Mads Mikkelsen in it. Huh. That's cool. And he's a, he's a dreamboat. Well, it was in Peter Parker's list, so it's a foreign film. Oh. Of sorts. Yeah. But yeah, now I really want to see it, especially because the cast looked pretty cool, so. Cool. Good job, Melissa. Stump John. Yeah. Point. You get a point. I hope she doesn't hear that. <laughs> Don't <laughs> worry if she yeah, Larry Jackson says Cannibal Holocaust. There's not even a close second. The manipulation of the audience to question if they're watching a movie or a documentary is next level special, and it sure had to be back then. I can't even imagine. Well, oh yeah, considering right? he part of the contract was that all of the actors that were in the movie had to disappear for a year. No, no career, no stage acting, no film acting, no TV, no commercials, nothing. Really? And, yeah, and. Then he wound up being dragged into court in Italy because it, the uh, word on the street was he had made a snuff film. So he had to figure out where everyone had gone into their little hidey holes and bring them back out and produce them in court in Italy to prove that he hadn't killed them so that he wouldn't be executed for murder. So, yeah, Deodato did a masterful job of uh, playing the audience. So Blair Witch took a page out of that book. Yeah, Huge for sure. page. Cool. Half a page, but whatever. Oh. <laughs> hey, at least they didn't kill animals. That's true. Corey Sober says, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, that's true. I'll yeah. take it. Jeez, Mike. <laughs> they eat Eddie, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, they do. Nice one, Corey. Points. Definite points. Uh, Jonas Kafka says, Peter Parker seems to have good taste in movies, too. And can climb walls. But even if it's more mainstream, I would go with Ravenous. Jeremy nice. Davies gives every role dignity of some kind. And Bone Tomahawk was also skinning the mood. 
Fuck yeah. And then lastly, we on Facebook we have Gerald Tomkinson say Cannibal Ferox. Ooh, over Cannibal Holocaust. Yep. That's his pick. Ballsy. That's, That's awesome. A, it's a nasty movie. Yep. Then over on the Twitter, we got Horror Junkies. Yay! At Horror Junkies F L. They say, Bone Tomahawk is amazing if you're into slow burn films. Mike. Thanks, Mike. Fuck yeah. And then Matt Pike at Quad City Hawkeye says, Chud. R.I.P. Yeah. John well, Heard. Wait a minute. The yeah, like, guitarist from High on Fire just commented. That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's, like, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, totally him. It's all about celebrities commenting tonight, guys. I think the are the ones that know who the fuck he is. <laughs> uh, David Garrett at Buckeye from Mitch says, Frontiers is a personal favorite. Good movie. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that movie. Um... Then we got Don and Nelly at Don and Nelly. Don underscore Nelly says, omitting the obvious, love, love the Wrong Turn series and Sonny, Flesh of Man. Honorable mentions, Mondo Cannibal and In the Land of Death. <laughs> the the latter day Bruno Matai movies. <laughs> oh, those are amazing. They really Lee bad. <laughs> yeah, but man, when you're with a group of people watching them and just fucking laughing your ass off, man, it doesn't get much better. So than yeah, that. It seems like Don underscore Anelli brings us some pretty sci-fi underground bad things, but <laughs> that must be what he likes. And then up next, we got Tom Savini says, "What? I'm, I'm just kidding." <laughs> Oh, you son of a... Uh, I suck it. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Elizabeth Talbot at Titan IA86 says ravenous, and she posted this sweet gif where he's saying, he was he was licking me. <laughs> yeah. I just see that over and over. Uh, so good. Lucky guy. That's right. Ra- <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly... On Twitter, we got the tomb of Anubis.com. Yay! That's my buddy Dave Bowen. Hey, Dave, what's up? At the tomb of Anubis, Anubis says, Motel Hell, Ravenous, and Cannibal, the musical, immediately come to mind. Cannibal Holocaust, if we're going to be more <laughs> traditional, man eating. Yeah, Motel Hell, that's a good one. Yeah, that hasn't been brought up yet. Yeah. True, true. Love that movie. Suck the dog dick of Anubis or whatever from Bohotep. I was trying. trying. I failed. <laughs> you would appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so many people brought up Alive, which we're a horror podcast. I just want to remind you. But if they get to say, if they get to bring up Alive, then I'm going to bring up Eating Raul. I just, yeah. you just did. I own that and I have not I need to, I've always Ever? wanted to watch that because doesn't it have um, Mary Warnoff well, it, just, <laughs> yeah. it had I yeah, thought it Paul had um, the the guy that's in Ash vs. Evil Dead in it you no. know that guy the guy that plays yeah. Pablo? Pablo Pablo no 
I thought I no, swore. Eating Raul was like from the it's, Yeah, it's from the 70s. Uh, so he the one with like Raul a... Julia in it? Oh. No. Um, <laughs> he's in something. He's uh, in a, something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to I forget now uh, the name of the Hispanic guy. He was also in, um, I believe he was in Night of the Comet, but there was, there was something television that he broke out big time in like the oh, late 80s. Oh, it was 90s. one of the Star Treks, wasn't it? That was it, yes. He was in, he was one of, the, one of the Star Treks. Yeah, I can't think of his name, but yeah, I like him in uh, Night of the Comet. Yeah, he was LeVar awesome. Burton. <laughs> um, I watch him in anything as long as he's reading. Spoiler alert: as far as cannibalism goes, and eating Raul it doesn't happen until the very end. But the movie is still freaking hilarious and awesome. So there you go. Um, and then there's also Parents with um, um, Crazy Guy yeah, and Randy Quaid. I saw that on a few lists. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yep. And that's all we have. On Facebook and Twitter, you can always call in at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP, and that's shout-outs. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome, Mike. Now, it's time for, yep, you guessed it, Wicked Women with Wear Tear. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> Uh, tonight we're going to touch base on the legendary Vampira, aka Myla Nurmi. Nice. Her she was actually born in Finland in 1922. Her real name is Myla. Forgive me, Sirjaniemi. Something yeah, like that. It. Close. I don't feel like um, nobody but the Finnish can pronounce Finnish. So. Right. Um, <laughs> Well, and her uncle was actually an Olympic medalist, um, and his surname was Nermi, so she adopted that because it was easier. So that's where she got her last name, um, or her stage name. And then they moved to um, Ohio or Massachusetts um, in the 20s, or in the, not the 20s, in the 40s, I think. Um, and then eventually she moved to LA trying to pursue her acting career. Um, did a lot of little stuff and she would, then she was on, um, a midnight show called spook scandals, um, where she started gaining a little notoriety, but then it wasn't until she attended a masquerade ball, um, dressed in a, I guess, sexified version of a Morticia Adams uh, outfit that she was noticed and people um, asked her to be the first horror hostess on TV. Um, and and I, I watched a couple of short interviews and she said that she gained a lot of her influence for the outfit, not only from Morticia Adams, but also I guess she was looking in a lot of uh, like uh, bondage magazines. Mm-hmm. So the cinch waist and things like that and the long fingernails and that all came from like the BDSM magazines. Um but yeah, they 
they approached her and she went on to do the vampire show um aired for a few years was very notable she was on several like variety shows she was even in life magazine um and then um kind of died down after a while i mean she did um she met up with ed wood and they did plan nine plan nine from outer space obviously um really a fairly short-lived career if you think about it but it seems like she's just so notable it's hard to think that she really wasn't around as that character for that long um later on she um in the 60s she was actually making a living um doing home home design like linoleum flooring and carpentry and things like that um and then eventually she went on to open up a place called vampira's attic which was an antiques boutique where she was making like handmade jewelry and things like that for celebrities like grace slick um and then she was approached in the early 80s about reviving um, the vampire character um, on TV. And then that's when uh, Cassandra Peterson came into, into play. She didn't realize that they had cast her as the character. And apparently there was some conflict. And basically because she still maintained the rights for the character they could not call cassandra peterson vampira which is why she became elvira which looked very similar but not quite and there were some lawsuits and hurt feelings and things um but yeah uh that was pretty much the final death of vampira and she just went on um, selling some autographs and things like that. And then she, you know, just did her thing and died at home back in 2008. Sad, but, you know, it happens. But yeah, she had a full life. Her interviews, I, and I'm honestly not that familiar with Vampire. I haven't really seen much of her horror hosting. I've seen Plan 9 from Outer Space, but... It's not a whole lot to be seen, really. Exactly. There's really not. It's It's just crazy to think such an influence that she had in such a short amount of time. It's just incredible. Because of the way they used to treat shows like that, where they'd tape them live on videotape and then wipe the tape to be reused again the next night. Right. A lot of that stuff just never wound yeah. up in the archives. We don't have any of these, uh, you know, very few of these images left. Yeah. yeah, there's only been one noted episode that's ever that's uh, floating around the bootleg circuit um, that has ever been seen, and um, and I know that for a fact because anytime there's there's like a couple of docu- a few documentaries um, that that has her in it, like American Scary or Vampire the movie yeah. from 2006, and anytime they show clips of Vampire back in the day. On anything, um, uh, whether it's if it's a newsreel about about her or whatever, it's always either shots from that one surviving episode or shots from Plan Nine from Outer Space. What do you know? Like you have your own podcast about horror hosting. <laughs> oh, you do. That's right. 
<clears throat> Midnight Snacks. But uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like it's like um, it's like Brian said, it was back in the day, like pre, where they didn't archive any of that stuff. So sad. So yeah, it's too bad. Um, also interesting though, she uh, had a small appearance in uh, a little cameo appearance as woman in hotel lobby in the movie I Woke Up Early the Day I Died in 98, which was... Later on in her career, yeah. Yeah, which was a lost Ed Wood script that somebody somebody had made, so... That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And that whole lawsuit thing, like, you know, it's too bad. And it's too bad that, uh, I mean, she she could have kind of you know, rose from the ashes uh, from that whole experience and done something better instead of just kind of being bitter and not wanting to talk about the vampire thing for a long time. Because the, the way I look at it is like, okay, there's obviously a lot of influences in Elvira um, from the vampire character, but but um, the characters themselves are literally night and day. Vampira right. is very, like, um, um, stoic and and and. and and kind of mystical yeah and mysterious and yeah where elvira right. is basically a valley girl version of a vampire so which is why she actually she lost in the lawsuits yeah, yeah. and and then the, they were even coming back and, and claiming like oh well you stole most of your image from morticia you know from yeah. the and that's my argument on it too. Is like, yeah, you're suing because somebody stole your image, but your image was stolen too. I'm sorry to say it, and I and yeah. I hate saying that, you know, because she's no longer with us. And I love the woman for what she had. She had basically opened up this whole new world of of that I love, which is TV horror hosting. Um, she was one of the uh, pioneers in that in that whole thing. And and the uh, the goddess, if you will, of TV horror hosts. So I hate saying anything ill about it, but I also am like, yeah, seriously though, it's <laughs> I didn't think it was a valid lawsuit myself. So <clears throat> so good one, thank you, Terry. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So up next, it's been a while, but finally back. It's time for a little. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Suspense. You're so excited. I you am. just you can't. It's time for Altar of Stalter. You know what time it is. It's time for Altar Hi, everybody. I know it's been a long time, but uh, I'm back, finally, to review some movies. But tonight, I am not going to talk about anything horror. Huh. Brian knows what's up. I'm going to talk about Space Babes from Outer Space. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to hear about this. So, this was made by my favorite filmmakers, or current filmmakers, the guys at Bandit Motion Pictures. They did Harvest Lake and Plank Face, which were two of my favorite horror movies of the last, you know, couple years, uh, and they had announced a while back that they were going to be doing a, a throwback to 80s sex comedies, and it was called Space Babes from Outer Space. So the movie starts off with a grandfather, because, you know, this seems appropriate, a grandfather telling his grandson an adult fairy tale. <laughs> so it starts off with 
three space babes flying through space when they get attacked by their mortal enemy, the Scrotes. <laughs> yeah, the Scrotes. The Scrotes are basically devolved men that they that this planet of women and basically mentally challenged men because all they thought about was food and sex. They essentially tried to uh, launch them into the sun. Kind of, some of them survived, and they devolved to these weird little creatures called the Scrotes. And all they care about is hunting down the space babes and essentially eating them. Well, to get away from them, they they press a button to, that says not to be pressed ever, and they <laughs> lose all their energy, land on Earth on the farm of a uh, of a guy named Charlie. And now they have to figure out how to get energy. Well, it turns out the energy they need is sexual energy. Yeah. And yeah, obviously. And so, you know, boob jokes, dick jokes, you name it. This movie's got it. Uh, it's the the theme song is really well done and very catchy. Um, and of course, like even the names, the names of the the three space babes are Cariola, Vanessa. <laughs> And Regina. Of course. <laughs> um, honestly, when it comes down to it, this movie, you know, despite all the dick jokes and all the boobs, I mean, this this it's just constant boobs in this movie because they end up at a strip club. Um, it honestly ends up being kind of a, a, a touching, you know, story. Cariola and Charlie, you know, kind of fall in love and he teaches her about love and, you know, love and sex like not just meaningless sex um but yeah it's i mean it's really a lot of fun it's very cheesy uh isn't your girl ellie church in it yeah ellie church is in it it's actually directed by her husband brian uh which is shocking because she's never nude in this movie he's got the first movie brian made was uh called time to kill which is was actually a, a not a special feature but a um a perk if you uh, donated to their Indiegogo. Um, she's like nude ninety percent of that time, isn't she? You, have you watched that yet, Brian? I have not, but she's also nude through most of her role in uh, Frankenstein created by yeah. Him. So yeah, he she gets naked a lot. Like everybody's naked in this movie, except for her, which is really bizarre. But but yeah, it's. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's it's cheesy. I mean, the the jokes are just very very tongue in cheek. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> tongue and boob. Yeah, really, you could just kind of go. That's what she said throughout the entire film. <laughs> uh, no wonder you love it. Well, yeah. yeah. But uh, Brian actually and I both donated our our names are in the credits, and my my name is in the credits Aww. of all three. Of they've done because i really really love their work i've i found out about them through uh the director of photography's first film found which instantly became one of my favorite uh horror films of all time so i got you know hooked up through them so now whenever they make a movie i'm just like here's you know 50 bucks you guys deserve it uh so in the special edition the two disc stacked edition you get one (laughs) of the greatest special features if you love boobs strip your own adventure Oh. You get to pick from three different strippers, and then it goes from, well, do you want me to wear the black one or the colorful, you know, mm-hmm. one? Do you want tits or ass? And it goes on from there, but, like, I think at the end of every game, you can tip them, and you always tip them with uh, chicken nuggets. 
Oh. Which is a joke, like a running joke in the yeah, movie. Yeah, like they chicken nuggets play a really big role in the movie, just as a joke, but comes up quite frequently. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's definitely not for everybody. I mean, it's, my wife kind of like groaned throughout the entire movie, like, oh my god, of course you fucking love this movie. It's nothing but boobs and dick if, jokes. If you like, like Jim Wynorski and Fred Olin Ray movies from the 80s, this is a total yeah. love letter to those. Like, the only Perfect. thing that's missing is Eddie Deason. <laughs> Thank God. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, it really is a lot of fun. I mean, and like I said, it does get kind of uh, touching towards the end when the two fall in love, and then they have to make the decision. You know, when they get the energy, do do they? Does she leave and leave him behind, or do they go together? And yeah, I mean, I think you can still get a few copies left. Or there's a few copies left on their website, bandinmotionpictures.com. Um, I'm, I think there's another couple of vendors, but they only made, they only made 800 of the stacked edition and I'm not sure how many are left, maybe less than a hundred, maybe even less than that. But I encourage people to check it out. If you like fun, goofy movies, they tend to do the convention circuit. Um, they were there when I went to days of the dead a couple of weeks ago and, uh, I know they were talking about that they were going to be around for, uh, Horror Hound in Indianapolis and a few other things, and they've all they've got all their movies on the vendors table. So yeah, I mean, Dick, I had them make a video for you. <laughs> I know, but you got to meet Ellie. Fuck you. Basically, my meeting her was saying, "Hey, my friend John really likes you. Will you make a video I, for him?" I, I didn't know you guys. I think he stalks okay. you on Facebook. <laughs> Slightly. Hey, man, she follows me on Instagram. It's all good. We're cool. <laughs> Totally not creepy. No. I don't send dick pics. That's just to you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like you, like you don't, you know. Anyway, never mind. Your Instagram's just cat pictures anyway. It's fine. Yeah, right? <laughs> so that's my regular one. My horror one is... Oh, right. Your ultra like, stalter one. It's like cats with horror movies. It's, yeah, say it's still cats. So he doesn't <laughs> post dick pics. He posts pussy pics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I get all sorts of attention from pussy pics. I get arrested for the dick pics. Alright. So. And done. But yeah, check it out. Space Babes. The first thing Tim and Jacob noticed when they walked into Saunders Meats and Grocery was the overpowering smell of disinfectant. It was enough to curl the nose hairs and make the eyes water. To look around the place, though, one would be hard-pressed to find where it had been put to use. Jesus, Tim, do you smell that? said Jacob. I won't be smelling anything else for a week. What the hell have they been cleaning? I bet this floor hasn't seen a mop since Nixon was president. And I don't even want to know what that stain is coming out from under the cooler. No, don't, don't look. I think it's following us. Hmm. Look, let's just get what we came for and get out, said Tim. Are you kidding? I'm not eating anything from this place. Well, if someone had hung up the backpack with the food, like the park guy said, we wouldn't have to. But the bears ate all of our stuff, and the next grocery store is 70 miles from here. It only has to last two days. We'll get whatever looks freshest, and it'll be fine. The two headed back to the meat counter, and discovered the source of the disinfectant smell. However bad a condition the rest of the store was in, the butcher's department was spotless white tile and shining stainless steel so bright Tim and Jacob almost had to squint against the glare. 
Cuts of meat laid out in neat rows glistened under the lights of the refrigerated case. The area was quiet and unoccupied. Jacob reached out to ring the service bell on the counter, but before his fingers could hit the striker, a grizzled man in his late sixties with a battered black-and-white baseball cap on his head loomed up over the counter. Jacob jumped, knocking the bell to the floor, and Tim startled backward into an ancient display of saltined crackers, sending yellowed boxes cascading to the floor. "'What can I get you, boys?' the man asked with a tobacco-stained smile. "'Uh, we, we just need a couple of pounds of meat to grill while we're camping,' said Tim. Uh, "'Sorry about the crackers.' "'What did you call me?' snarled the old man. "'I, uh, what?' "'Nothing,' the old man said, grinning wider and showing all the gaps where some of his teeth had lost their heroic battle to j- tobacco and gingivitis. <laughs> "'Uh, how about some steaks?' asked Jacob." anxious to be away from this weirdo. Ain't got no steak left today. Well, what do you recommend? I got something real special for you boys, said the old man with a twinkle in his eye. Just finished cutting them up this morning. Some prime cuts a long pig. Kind of like USDA choice, except around here we just call them insane's picks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and continuing with my review of the Violent Shit Collection. I'm so excited. It's time to talk about Violent Shit Part 2 from 1992. Again, written, directed, and starring Andreas Shanaz. Um, now, Carl the Butcher, this time it's his son, Carl the Butcher Jr., Continuing the murderous rampage that started by his father. Now, I was hoping this film would answer many of the um, unanswered questions that I had from Violent Shit Part 1. And much like the Phantasm movies, Violent Shit Part 2 left me with even more questions, but not in a good way like Phantasm does. Uh, Carl Jr., uh, best known as Hardy's around this area, is out to get revenge for the death of his father. But... His father, Carl Sr., died at the end of the first movie by giving birth to Carl Jr. So, he's getting revenge against himself? Anyway, the film starts out in the woods where a racial stereotype um, uh, drug deal is going on that goes horribly, horribly wrong. There's this Asian man, of course, who has amazing kung fu skills, kills all the drug dealers, and just as he's victorious, Carl Jr., donning his now famous papier-mâché mask we all know and love, um, shows up and kills the kung fu expert. Uh, FYI, Carl Jr. even talks in this movie, compared to Carl Sr. in the first movie. So there you go. And, of course, they never explain where the goddamn mask comes from. Which is what I was hoping for, uh, since they don't even don the mask in Part 1. You know, at least in Friday 13 Part 3, uh, they they explain where he gets the hockey mask. Um, cut to the opening credit sequence, where, um, which is... Um, Way more appealing than the opening credit sequence in the first movie, but still runs way, way, way too damn long. 
um, as the credits are intercut with shots from the first film. Uh, so, and it's all the uh, money shots from the first film. So why did I bother watching the first film? I could have just watched part two and that would give me enough of what I needed to see of part one. Uh, from there it turns into a shitty documentary about some famous serial killer from the 1960s in Germany. Um, there's a lot of talking heads talking about what it was like back then when this killer was on the loose. And it goes on for obviously way too long, like everything in these movies. Um, the only thing, and the only thing it really has to do with anything with Violent Chip R2 is that this killer once shared a cell in the 70s with the original Carl the Butcher. Again, what it has to do with Carl Jr. going on his murderous rampage, I have no fucking clue. Uh, we learn again through pointless flashbacks that Carl Jr. was raised by this woman um, with really bad old person makeup on and urges him to kill like his father to get revenge. Uh, from then on, it is just like the first movie. You introduce a character, Carl Jr. comes along, kills him or her off, repeat. Uh, one gory, disembodied death, one right after the other. Um, now, I'm gonna, now, after all that, I'm going to say that I definitely like this movie much better than Violent Shit Part 1. I actually rather enjoyed this one compared to the experience and didn't fast forward through hardly as nearly as much as I did through fast forwarding through part one. Um, it is way better than the first film, which is showing that the filmmaker is growing in his craft. Uh, there's still no story. Um, there's still plenty of what the fuck moments. Um, and the but the quality the quality of filmmaking is still extremely low as it is still shot on VHS. But the audio is a thousand times better. Um, you can actually make out what people are saying. Um, and it's not super echoey. So that's good. And the score is way better too. They use a lot of like heavy metal songs and it's not as repetitious as the first movie goes. Um, the gore is even better than the first movie. Um, they've uh, really honed their craft in special effects. And I think it's even bloodier than the first movie, which is awesome. Um... And the cinematography is also way better because it's not all shot at night with extreme close-ups with no lighting on it that where you can't tell what you're making out. You can actually see what's going on in this movie for a change. So, so it's getting better, folks. Violent Shit Part 2 leaps and bounds above the first one. Still has many, many flaws. A lot of shit just drags on way too long. But it's definitely not as tedious as the first one. Now, I know I've already talked about Violent Shit Part 3, a.k.a. Zombie Doom, when I started this venture. So, I'm, so in the next episode, I'm going to skip ahead to Violent Shit Part 4. And then, um, wrapping this whole box set up with, cover, with talking about Zombie 90. At the end of all this, I will give you my ratings of all five of these movies on a scale from best to worst. Um, but we'll see how that goes after I watch Zom Violent Shit Part 4. So that's it for this episode of Insane Spicks. Man, it got better. I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really had a lot of fun watching the second one. There was a lot of cool a lot of cool stuff in it, considering you know it's just, it's just a shot on VHS movie. Yeah. Which I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's definitely... Oh, they're fun. Yeah, they're... Horrible. they're Horrible and a lot of fun, but definitely not for everyone. So, <clears throat> not every not every movie shot on video can uh, compare to Sledgehammer, but that's all good. 
<laughs> true, true, true. That's five, a fucking classic. Or five, five, five. I actually have not seen that, but I want to. I don't know why I want to, but I want to. You ever see the Abomination? Not that, probably that not. That one's fucking crazy. It's got like this like tentacle guts monster that's growing out of the refrigerator or some shit. It's weird. Anyway. So that's it for this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Uh, let's all give a, a, a big Attack of the Killer Podcast applause to Tad for joining us this episode. Woo! Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks for being on. And, you know, I didn't get really give you a chance to let you talk a little bit about yourself. What uh, what do you do, Tad? Who Who is Tad? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I'm a full-time graphic designer, and I am the head of film programming at the Burlington Capitol Theater in Burlington, Iowa, yeah, and I'm the director of the Snake Alley Festival Film. Thanks. Yes, great film festival, had a lot of fun at that festival a few weeks back, so great job for that, sir. Um, you want to share any links to the festival uh, to the listening audience? Uh, you can find us on our, our Facebook is where we post most of our stuff, but you can also check out snakealleyfestivalfilm.com. Excellent, excellent. It's a it's a great festival here in Iowa. Uh, you get movies from all over the place, and it's it's a great great time. So hell yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. And also, if you're just in the Burlington area, they show some awesome stuff there, for sure. Even some oh, yeah. I've seen some obscure horror stuff as well. In the most beautiful theater in this fucking state. Yeah. Hands down. Hands down. Love that theater. Yeah, I love that theater too. Cool. Well, definitely keep up the good work there, my friend. Thank you, thank you. And uh, thanks to the whole cast for being on once again. Much appreciated, guys. And thanks everybody out there for listening. And hey, thank you, the Patreon donators. What? You're not one of them? Go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP so you could be one of the elite. Elite. I like that. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon. And um, don't... Have a spadoinkle day. Oh, spadoinkle! I think that should be officially how we end each episode from here on out. Have a spadoinkle day, everybody. Oh no, could this be the end of? Wow.